Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome, everyone. And uh, I am so pleased to have two guests because we have a real, really exceptional treat for you today. We have Catherine Austin Fitz, who's been on our podcast before, and uh, someone new, Alex Svetsky who is, comes to us from Australia and is uh, really, uh, he's the editor of Bitcoin Times Magazine. And he's, uh, he ha- his, his claim to fame, <laughs> at least from my perspective, is that he orange-pilled me. And for those of you who don't know what that means, is that he helped me understand through a dinner that we uh, uh, were at an event in Miami with Mark Moss, uh, the why Bitcoin, it's really only Bitcoin of all the cryptocurrencies that matter and anything else is just a fraud essentially. And that's being, becoming an orange pill. And he did that to me uh, a few months ago. So Catherine, for those who don't know, she is, let me give her a brief bio because she is probably one of the most well-qualified individuals to participate in this discussion about whether Bitcoin is going to be uh, important for the end or important tool and a resource to address the financial tyranny and global suppression and, and oppression that is occurring by occurring right now. So Catherine um, is the president of Solari and she writes a newsletter, the Solari Report, and she also has a, an advisory investment advisory service. And uh, she pre- previously served as the managing director and member of the board of directors of a Wall Street investment bank, Dylan Reed and Company and most famously is noted for being the Assistant Secretary of Housing and Federal Housing Commissioner at the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development in the first the first Bush administration. So, uh, and she, she's managed uh, investment strategies of $300 billion. So she is no stranger to the financial system and she really knows it inside and out and we are beyond fortunate to have her on our side and help us understand at a fundamental foundational level, the strategies we need to implement from from stopping this progressive, massive trend towards global tyranny. So welcome. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for my favorite health website in the world. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, likewise, Joe. Thank you for everything you do, my friend. Okay. So let me start the dialogue by saying the, explaining a little more detail why I wanted John here because as, as I mentioned earlier, I, I was and still am relatively convinced that Bitcoin is a major part of the equation to stop the financial tyranny because it seems that the, 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 one of the ultimate goals aside from moving everyone towards slavery is to is to gain control of all the resources, which is financial tyranny. Right. right. So I mean I, that's pretty clear. I don't think anyone who has not been blue pill <laughs> disagree with right. that right but uh, so the, the question is how do you get out of it and I, I I'm convinced it's Bitcoin but Catherine you have some concerns and, and, and any concern you have I, I think we need to listen to and digest and understand what it is because your insights are beyond profound so why, why don't you 
that's my that's the reason why I asked you two to come together because I I'm not as my depth of knowledge of Bitcoin and its history is 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 at a kindergarten level compared to Alex. So he right. can he, he he can come in and really help us understand at a deeper level. So why don't you start it and uh, take, give us your take on it? Yeah, I might, okay. I might just be, before Catherine you start, I might just add two quick things in there. So it's just, okay. just so we've got some frames. Go. So I, I'm, I'm going to, as you talk me through where you see uh, challenges are, for example, I'm, I'm just going to take some notes. Um, and then once we've sort of done that, I, I would love to kind of dive into a little bit around your uh, definition of money, um, you know, why it's important and, and what a monetary system or a money for you could look like um, right. in, in an ideal design. So, cause I, I wanna, I, I'm actually going to make the argument that you're already a Bitcoiner and that you're already a 100% <laughs> Bitcoin maximalist but you just don't realize it yet because you haven't accurately defined Bitcoin. So that's the position I'm gonna take and I'm showing my mm -hmm. cards, um, but yeah, let's, um, let, let's get into where you think the challenges are and then let's get into um, what we think an ideal money would look like or how it should function, et cetera. Okay. So in 2017, I did a very long and serious due diligence into Bitcoin and, uh, and I had two basket of concerns mm -hmm. and one related to whether or not the Bitcoin exchanges and industry were doing a responsible job of communicating with potential investors. So I'm an investment advisor and there's a world of regulation about how you make sure that an investor has full and fair disclosure. So Joseph, for you, it's the equivalent of informed consent in mm -hmm. financial terms. So you want to make sure the investor knows what it is and they and what their risks are, and, and they are prepared to manage both the risks and the investment, the custodian issues before they buy. So there's a whole world of issues there that are getting slowly better. And what I'm assuming for purposes of this conversation, we don't need to go into them. We can, but we don't have to. We're really at a higher policy level of whether or not Bitcoin helps increase our chances of free. You know, so we're we're all interested in being free and freeing ourselves from what I would describe as a secret governance system, aka Mr. Global. Mm -hmm. Is that acceptable if we so let's just take all the sort of the 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 responsibility or irresponsibility of the crypto industry in terms of marketing mm -hmm. um, because it's a non-regulated space and let's put that aside. So here's what I've said. Um, what I've said is that it is absolutely important that we have uh, a financial system and a currency system that is not 100% digital. Mm -hmm. So what, where I think the current leadership and central bankers are going with the going direct reset is I think they're trying to get 100% digital control grid and literally mm -hmm. end currencies as we know it and move us to, on the smart grid, a transaction system where they have 100% control. Now, if you look at, and I call it the covert social credit system, they've been building that control system for centuries, but since the advent of digital uh, technology, they've been building it much more intensively and much more invasively. And they have three primary lines of control. One is financial carrots and sticks. One is uh, basically, you know, it's, it's the telecommunications and media line. It's surveillance and mind control and, and propaganda and education. Mm -hmm. And then the third line is covert op operations, which can get 
you know, it can be regulatory enforcement taxation, or it can be um, literally covert physical intervention. So, so you have these three lines and they're coordinated, but if you look at how they control, whether they say they're controlling assets or they're controlling currencies or they're controlling, they really control people. They control everything through people. And if you look at some of the regulatory proposals now for crypto, that's how they're going to do it. They're going to do it by controlling the people in their businesses. Anyway, so, so we have this control grid. And I think anybody who wants freedom, number one, wants transparency in and around what's really going on in a world, but then they want to be not controlled. And to me, if we permit a 100% digital controlled transaction system of any kind, um, we will concede control and literally it's the end of human liberty in the West. And I think for everyone who's interested in building a better digital transaction system, you know, and I would argue that the current digital transaction system could be made infinitely better than it is now. Um, and that's one of the pushes for crypto. Can we get a frictionless cross-border payment system? But, but it's, it's inherent on anybody who wants a successful digital system, including using distributed ledgers to address how are we going to get this technology working for us, but not allow it to control. And again, I don't think the control will be control so much of the technology. Um, I think the control will be of the people using the technology. It will come through the people, you know, because that's how the control grid has been built. So, so I don't see how we permit an all digital transaction system and continue to have freedom as long as the primary hardware and energy in and around the system, as well as the people are controlled by a secret central governance system. Does that make sense? Makes yeah. perfect yeah. sense. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Okay. So right. um, yes, I would um, agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, there was, did, did you ever read the cypherpunk manifesto written by Tim May in the, in the nineties? Year, a long time ago. Yes. Yeah. Eric so, I mean, Hughes got me to read it. So yeah. many so, years so ago. The, the basic summation of that is um, as the world becomes more technologically uh, adept, um, technology seems to um, tr trends towards concentration. Um, and in that trend, um, we could end up with a world in which we have um total panopticon surveillance um and right. control of people's money so 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 the two the two uh, kind of holy grail innovations where we need to maintain um a method of private communication uh in other words we need to use encryption to maintain private communication otherwise if you don't have private communication you can't speak freely right first amendment right um, so, so that was sort of holy grail number one holy grail number two was we need a independent uh monetary system we need a money that is independent of a state and unable to be censored controlled etc because if we end up with that then who cares if we have free speech you know you don't have free action right so so you and i fundamentally agree on this idea of um i mean you see it in australia like if you haven't paid your fines so so, so the government goes ahead they make up a fake law so that you can just so they can fine you for not wearing a fake mask and then if you don't pay your fake fine, um, your penalty, they'll just take the fake money out of your fake bank account um, without right. your consent, right? So, so it's like whoever issues and controls the money 
basically has the ultimate power, right? Like if I'm the, the issuer of the money, I can do whatever I want, basically. I, I have the license to do whatever I want. So I so there's one caveat. So you're mm-hmm. we're working with a, a model I call the central banking warfare model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one side of the coin is I can print money. That's power number one. Mm-hmm. But the second side is I can enforce and force people to take it. So the military forces everybody mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. take it. And that's part of where the liquidity comes from. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to have both. I have totally. to be able... To print with impunity and kill with impunity. Totally, totally. So you need okay. the monopoly on violence and you need the monopoly right. on money. And they both right. feed each other, basically, right? Right. Um, right. I, I would say the easier one to defeat, though, is um, is the monopoly on money because what ends up happening is that when the monopoly on money can't fund the monopoly on violence, things start to fall apart relatively quickly. Like, So if we had to pull a thread um, somewhere so that the shit show unravels, that's kind of where we may have a strategic opportunity, but let's let's set that aside for a moment. So, so your concerns are Bitcoin exchanges and transparency and all that sort of stuff, which I would agree with you. I think Bitcoin exchanges are a fucking disaster. Um, you know, <laughs> we we all say that you should take your money off exchanges as soon as possible um, and hold your own Bitcoin in your own custody as soon as possible, because then that defunds um, or, or it actually moves supply out of these casinos basically so so we're in agreement with that and we're totally uh, aligned with this idea that the last thing in hell we want is some issued money um, from any sort of authority who has the capacity to then build up enough economic power such that they can deploy political power or violent power in order to maintain economic power and they sort of create this situation what we have today which is i can print all the money that i want and sorry you can't do shit about it because if you do then i'm throwing you in jail okay so let's separate um so so a corrupt and secret governance system it we could run we could take the dollar system uh reform the governance make some other reforms about it and and in fact get it to work very very well so I would argue the problem is not necessarily inherent in the model of someone being able to enforce or create a fiat currency. I would say you you have a very corrupt machinery and there's systemic reasons as to how it got that corrupt. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't argue that. I think I, I do think it's important if you go back and, and look at the history of currencies throughout the ages. The, the most important criteria for a successful currency system is excellence in governance and the rule of law. And that is the hardest thing to create. And if I were to turn to 100 freedom fighters and say, we have to deal with changing the governance system on planet Earth, they would say, that's too hard. We need a workaround. Mm-hmm. And what you see is where we go for the workaround is distributive ledger technology can stop the debasement and the counterfeiting. That's our workaround, you know, and the fraud or a sound money system with commodities, gold and silver. That's our workaround. Those are both workarounds to avoid the issue of how do we create a great governance system and then a culture and a covenant that will enforce. So, so I would, just one correction there. Distributed ledger technology doesn't do shit, by the way. Um, it doesn't solve any problems. Um, it's not even existent in Bitcoin. That's not actually right. what gives Bitcoin its um, its usefulness. Um, it is kind of like a, it's kind of like the eggs in a cake. Um, you know, the eggs don't make right. the cake. 
the right. eggs are an ingredient in the cake. So, so just, just be aware of like buzzwords of like blockchain and all this garbage, which is all meaningless. Like Bitcoin is, is a lot broader, but to your point, um, it is an attempt to try and solve um, some of the problems. So, so I guess, let me, let me, let me ask you this question. Um, in your mind, why, why did gold emerge as a useful money, at least as a commodity money over the, over the millennia? What, what made it special? So, uh, so I'm going to guess, cause I've never been able to prove it, mm-hmm. but I think there was a significant and continuous demand by the leadership for gold. And the question is why? But okay. it has gone back thousands of years. So if you had to hypothesize why, why, why would you say that? You know, something that would lead us down a thousand rabbit holes, I really don't know. But there has been a continuous demand by the leadership to hold gold as a store, one store of value. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I first started to uh, I first started to invest in gold, but look into the manipulation in the gold market, which is very significant. Totally. And one of the things I discovered, you know, because think of it this way, a a currency starts for some reason and it gets going often because you have force behind it or a great economic explosion, but then it takes on a life of its own and it develops its own field. Mm -hmm. So my guess is the Bitcoin community has developed one or more fields. I don't really know it, but I'm guessing, you know, and the dollar has created, you know, a huge field that is not just the central bankers, it's, it's something more. Um, and it also relates to the rule of law that sort of created and still to a certain extent, you know, influences its, its management. But if you look at gold, gold has one of the most powerful morphogenic fields planetary wide, because any country you go to, any language, any place, people have a faith and trust in gold as a store of value and consider it a smoke alarm. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, Mm -hmm. during the 90s, when we were able to use derivatives to massively manipulate the price. We did. (laughs) Right. Millions and millions of people kept saying, I know everything's okay because the smoke alarm isn't going off. You know, it was brilliant. You have to give Mr. Global credit. It was very brilliant. Mm -hmm. And, and, And but what I discovered in that process is over the millennial, you have created this field in gold and silver, which is very significant. Now, I'm not a great believer that great currencies are backed in gold and silver, although I think you can use gold and silver, you know, to do a lot, particularly to get a to kickstart community currencies. Put that aside. It's traditionally it's never been a good idea to make a commodity the backbone of your currency, because then your your currency can swing around and get hiccuped for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do, you know, with its role as a currency. So, mm-hmm. so there's risk in that. Okay. But Alex, to me, Alex, it's a workaround. Before you answer, let me interject uh-huh. here a simple clarification, because if you anyone who's watched the previous interview I did with Catherine, they'll know that Mr. Global is her term, very <laughs> elegant, appropriate, and precise term. And I love the way she does that for a collection. It's not one individual. It's a collection of people and forces that control and are behind all this effort towards global tyranny. So thank right. you. It's, for an, that. it's a nickname for a secret governance system. Yeah, uh, Alex, one of the things I think is one the most important unanswered question before us 
we live on a planet where the governance system is secret. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we know lots of power lines and I would suggest the most powerful line on the planet is essentially in the financial system. It's the central bankers, the insurance industry Mm -hmm. and the pools of equity, but that's, that's what we're grappling with. How do we stay free, you know, in the face of a secret governance system and can, can a digital currency make a difference? I've got such a good answer for that, uh, but I'm going to save it because I want to, I want to, I want to build, okay. build, build something here. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to dig a little bit into the gold thing because um, I guess me, my, my, my background in studies and things like that has been quite uh, anthropological, evolutionary biology, uh, monetary history, and things like that. Uh-huh. And I've, and I've, and I've found a lot of, um, interesting lines and interesting principles that um that have kept coming up and 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 the money one is is very interesting and i always teach people um about you know why why gold in particular was important and right and when i when i tell people like i i like to make the distinction between organic money um and uh i guess fiat money or money by decree um or you know enforced money right and before I even do that, I generally like to make a definition for money. And, and to me, and, and tell me if I'm if you disagree with anything that I'm saying uh, along the way. But money for me is the language of value. There is, you know, in in order for human beings to cooperate and to coordinate, we need to find a way to encode the product of our labor. And the product of our labor is essentially the you know the energy the time and the effort we expend we 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 transform some form of chaos into order um, produce something of value whether a product or a service and we look to trade that with somebody else now because there is um, a lack can of I ask co- you a question sure. do you mean encode or communicate communicate or so, so first we need to encode it because um, and, and I don't mean code in the sense of you know uh, software I mean like it needs to be represented by something and then it needs to be communicated. So, so money requires both a, um, a state. Okay. So you're saying it transmission needs communication, medium. right. It needs communication and transfer. Totally. Exactly. So, right, okay. so it needs to, it needs okay. to be, it needs a state and a transmission medium basically. So right. with gold, for example, the, the state is the, the gold itself and the transmission medium is me taking it from my hand and passing it into your hand, right? So it's a pretty crappy transmission medium, but as- Well, but you know, let me sit back. It's, it's so, so yes, it's the store and the transmission, but it's the pricing. The, mathemat- the pricing mathematics and the integrity of the pricing is one of the most critical ingredients that make everything go. Correct, but let's think before pricing. Let's think we first discovered some yellow rocks and why right. did we, why did humanity, why did- us as a sentient species move away from using seashells um, into using salt, into using rye stones, into using glass beads, into using whatever the hell we're using. It is because we need to, as a species, we, we have to find a way to communicate a language of value. We have to encode and transmit the product of our labor somehow. And right. we did that in a very clunky way. Like in pockets, we did barter, we used salt, we used this, we used that. We, we were humanity is basically or civilization is a story of discovering in a complex manner better objects and better mechanisms for exchanging the product of our labor so so we were like humanity is a story of finding better money basically that that's all we've been doing for the last 
10,000 years. And what we did, so, so like when you think about money, and, and this is something we don't all uh, know consciously, but we instinctively or subconsciously know this, like the, the thing that becomes money or the thing that organically becomes money is the tool, the object, the good, the, the, the thing that is fungible. So as, as many of the units as possible should be the same. It is divisible. Like if you have a cow, it's not a great form of money because if you only need a right. banana, what do you do? Chop the cow's head off. It's not going to work. Um, right. Cognizability. So it needs to be recognizable. So if no one recognizes the shit, no one's going to use it as money. Um, homogeneous or homogeneity, it needs that. So like it needs to be uniform throughout. Right. Um, it needs to be portable because if you can't carry it around, it's not a very useful money. Um, and it needs to have some element of scarcity or uh, what, what Nick Zabo calls uh, uh, unforgeable costliness. So, so you can't just create no, it out of. I net. think you want you want protection from debasement. Well, correct, correct, but but that's right. that's exactly what scarcity gives us. So the scarce the property of scarcity gives us some sort of protection. Uh, well, actually, it's it's the property of scarce scarcity and unforgeable costliness that gives us debasement protection because if if it's too expensive to create and this is this was always the remember the alchemist's dream everyone wanted to create gold out of nothing right um so that they could acquire uh uneven or unfair monetary uh power right like if you could turn shit into gold you would be the god of the world right but no one could do it because gold has an unforgeable costliness inherent to its chemical structure so they're, they're sort of the, the properties. So unconsciously speaking, and this, this is the beauty of the evolution of humanity, is that we weren't looking for like, you know, consciously going out there saying, what, what is the best money with the best properties? We, we were naturally all looking for an object or something to, to, to be able to represent the product of our labor. And somehow every single society, every single group seemed to converge on this yellow rock because it had, in particular... No, many, many did not use it. It was found to be very... I mean, gold and silver make for very spotty and problematic currencies. The most successful currencies have been fiat currencies that had exceptional governance and, and are the rule of law. Later on. You know, and obvious, obviously had a good economy with them. L- so, later on, though, later on, every single earlier period was all use some sort of commodity if they could get a hold of it. That was right. where wealth Many was did, but they they also, as you said, they also used tortoiseshells and leather and, you know, barter. Yeah, where, so, they could, where they couldn't get gold. So, but the ones that used gold managed to jump over to a more complex governance type structure. So like, I right. mean, the Florentines were a perfect example. That, that, that region, particularly in Europe, they were able to scale up out of gold because where gold has some issues is that it is not very portable. Um, it is not very divisible. They're, they're the right. two big weaknesses that gold has. So what we needed to create in order to enable society to continue to become more complex, we needed to create a governance type money, which transcended the physical limitations of gold. And that's where you see the absolute takeoff of places like uh, Mediterranean Europe, as opposed to um the 
uh, the islands of Fiji and Vanuatu where they, st they were still using stones. Their, their money right. was not able to increase in complexity in the same way as the society was able to increase in complexity. Those two have to uh, run hand in hand. But anyway, so, so you've got these, these attributes of money, which, which are organic attributes. Now, the fiat replacements with governance, they still abide by these uh, things. So the money that was issued was fungible. It was more divisible than gold was. It was recognizable. It was homogeneous. Um, it was portable. And through, through the application of good governance was scarce, right? Or it was impossible to forge, or it was difficult to forge, or it was protected from debasement. So, so the mechanism of scarcity was a governance in uh, application, not a um, application of some chemical properties of the good used as money, which is the case of gold, right? So gold is scarce because you can't print it, but fiat money, especially the early ones, the successful ones, the Florentines, etc., they had very good governance that bound the capacity to just willy-nilly print the shit out of thin air and therefore was able to, you know, maintain integrity. So anyway, we've got these attributes. What I want to lean into now is kind of the functions of money. And once again, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but. So, so here's the thing. What you're talking about is the technology of how money works and how we use it. And no matter, no matter how excellent whatever money we're proposing to use, that is secondary to who controls and who decides. Totally. And, and you can have the most perfect money system, but if the people who operate it and use it are separately and independently controlled, it won't solve much. Exactly. We're going to get straight back to the same problem, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I agree with you. So, but what I, what I want to do is I want to just separate this because like for, for me, just getting some common ground on like what money is supposed to do and then looking at the control element that I want to run this in, uh, this in parallel. So we've got gold, we've got it emerged because it had superior um, chemical properties. You know, we transcended gold, um, particularly the more advanced civilizations, because we recreated money and it was able to have all these attributes. But money as like as a thing, what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to perform three functions to enable human beings to coordinate and to cooperate. It's supposed to store the product of one's labor, so store a value. It's supposed to be a medium of exchange. If you can't exchange the thing, it's useless money. And it's the, it's the object through which you price all other goods and services in the market. So it's the unit of account, right? They're basically the three functions of money. Um, right. And they don't all have to be in the same. They can, they can be split. I, I would argue that they can't be split. Some people think they can be uh, split. I, I'm not saying it's optimal to split them, but they can be split. It's important. <laughs> I mean, the, the problem with splitting it is if, 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 you know, if something, if something is a shit medium exchange and a crappy unit of account, um, and it's just a store of value, then it's not money. Then it's like, it's a piece of art or it's a house. Like you can't use a house as, as money. No, right? so, so, so I would say that, that the dollar for most people, the dollar is a much better medium of exchange than gold and silver right now. Yeah. But gold and silver provides a very important role in risk management in a store of value in certain scenarios. Totally. So, and, and that's why they both right. suck as money, because they're both not performing no, the three functions I, adequately. I don't I I disagree. I I because um, you know, would it be wonderful to have a perfect 
medium that did all three at the same time, but I don't think such an animal exists right now on this planet. It, it can under a secret governance system. Well, this is where we're going to discover that um, it does exist. So, so okay, so maybe maybe can we come to a, um, a common ground on this? Is that monies, monies do exist that perform those three functions at different levels. So as you yeah, said, yeah, 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 silver, absolutely. better at story. Right. Okay, cool. But a money in some way, shape or form needs to at least, even if it's like, if each one is on a scale of one to 10, like, so let's say gold is like a nine on store of value. It's like a two on medium exchange. And it's like a one on unit of account. US dollars, like a five on store of value, uh, eight on medium exchange and a nine on unit of account. Like each of them have their scoring, right? Um, like we, we, we can agree on that, right? Well, we probably disagree on the scoring, but we oh, can agree yeah. that that it's you know score is score the concept. The concept, the concept, we agree on the concept. Okay, excellent. All yeah. right. So, so, so we've got we've got that. So, so I guess where where I want to where I want to loop back then is um you you talked about then control so. One of the reasons, um, you know, the word debasement originally comes from, you know, the debasement of commodity currencies, right? Like slotting other metals uh, into the gold, etc. So, so, so this problem has existed. The, the problem of the control of the money has existed for a very long time. Like, even though something like gold, for example, emerged as an organic money, the issue came when actually trying to solve a problem. So to make... Um, gold more recognizable or to make it more fungible and to make it more useful what we did was we stamped emperor heads on them um you know so the lydian coins which were the first ones uh, out there they were made so that they were consistent so there was a standardization so that money was able to be used a little bit better than you know because no one walked around with a scale right and said hey right. i'm gonna sell you a chicken and let's measure how much gold there is that they were illiterate back then so um so, so we needed to do that now, but in doing that, what that did was it opened up an attack vector, which was if I'm the emperor issuing the coins, well then, hey, guess what? I'm just going to slide a little bit of silver in there and you know enrich myself at the expense of those using the money. So we've had that problem from you know very early on with the standardization of money. That problem potentially, uh, well, not potentially, that problem obviously got larger with the governance versions of money because it created new attack vectors, which is who creates the laws or who is the one enforcing the rules around what money is, they actually have an opening and it takes, uh, you know, we've created all sorts of mechanisms to try and keep that in check, you know, constitutions and courts and judicial systems and laws. So and can, I back, can I just back you up again? The, the perfect currency would, would serve an economy where you had the real assets and the people in balance. Mm-hmm. And a portion of the debasement problem that you're talking about comes when that real economy gets out of balance and you, mm -hmm. you try and make up for it with debasing the currency. This is part of what we're watching now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so some of it is not just the leaders are corrupt. Some of it is the leaders don't have the mastery of the real economy they need to make it go. Well, and can the, currency, the leaders ever get the mastery? Well, that's it, an answer. what happens no. is the real asset problem emerges in the currency and it looks like a currency problem but it's not it's a problem in the real economy Correct. so debasement debasement can come from you know the leader trying to or the governance system trying to cheat but it can also come from a real problem in the real asset economy correct and, and the and two problems is, are different 
they're different, but right. the um the the manifestation in the um the deterioration of the integrity of the money ends up the same. But they are definitely different problems. Right. You know, one right. of them shows that there's a structural issue here that needs to be solved, and hey, right. up. And the other one is because someone purposely put their finger on the red button and started right. taking advantage. So, hundred percent agree right. with that. Right. So then, so he, here's the question that I would um, pose to you: is that if even gold and all of our governance attempts at creating money or a monetary system seem to have, or not seem to, but have evidently devolved into the control of some party of Mr. Global or whoever else, you know, whatever other lunatic, um, how do you limit that control? Like what, what in your mind is a way to do so? So if I look at what the real problem is, I don't see a currency problem. Mm -hmm. What I see is a secret governance system, which is harvesting this planet for extraordinary amounts of resources. Mm -hmm. And that's a drain. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes I call it the tapeworm mm -hmm. because there's a drain going out the back door and, and, and you can, so for example, if I was a group of people and I said, I'm going to create a crypto and move outside the system to protect myself against the drain, that can work for a small group of people or for a lot of people for a certain period of time. But it doesn't solve the problem that there is on the whole economy, there is a drain. And if anything, it's hidden by the secrecy in the system, whether it's in the currency or the equity and the insurance or any of the other parts of the, of the system. And mm -hmm. so if, if you're, if you're going to worry about my tribe is going to go off and create a crypto and we're going to protect ourselves from the drain, that's a different world than, than our crypto can solve the whole thing. Because if the drain continues, there's no solution and the crypto can't protect you from that because the control of the digital systems, of all digital systems, you know, whether it's crypto or non-crypto, is going to come from the control of the people that is controlled by the secret drain. Let's step back. So why did we why why are we in a position with uh, Mr. Global draining resources in the first place? How do we get here? And what in your mind is a way to keep them in check and to avoid something like that happening? Well, it's happening every day. It's been happening every day. I've been alive on this planet. Totally. Um, so, so what do we so, do to solve that? Because my argument here is that uh, a money through which, um, you know, a money that is issued by any form of entity, the state, Mr. Global, um, a good monarch, whatever, is still going to devote. We're, we're going to get right back here. Right. So, 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 so. Uh, one of the best books I've read that I would recommend to you if you haven't read it or read it, just the sounds of it is you might have. The best book I've ever read to sort of inform solutions is one called um, The Evolution of Cooperation by Robert Axelrod. He's an economist at the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. And when computers became widely available in the 70s for academics, he did a series of simulations trying to ask, how could a market economy produce peace instead of war? Mm -hmm. or being one of the biggest businesses on the planet. And what he found was that the condition precedent to a market economy emerging peace instead of war was transparency. In other words, 
the human race will tend to shun the dirty players if they can see who they are. And so transparency could back up a lot of the corruption. Now, the problem Axelrod didn't deal with, which I think is arguably one of the most important problems we face in thinking about how to stop the control grid that is right now snapping into place, is mind control. And I think the reason we've seen literally hundreds of billions of dollars invested in entrainment technology, subliminal pro programming, and all these different mind control influences, whether in the propaganda education or in the, in the telecommunications and the control grid, is they're trying to figure out how to, how to protect themselves from transparency. Okay. So I would agree. Transparency. So I think you got to bring, I think you got to bring transparency. And then after you, so bring how do you do that? You, well, um, I, I think the more you can identify how control works one by one and help people see it and then make themselves free. Mm -hmm. So to me, control happens one person at a time. Financial harvesting happens one person at a time and freedom happens one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And the question before us is, can we, can we help enough individual people be free? So I said that Mercola was my number one favorite health website. Mm -hmm. If you read Mercola, it's teaching you how to protect yourself from what I call the great poisoning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the more you do that, the better chance you have of being financially not dependent on the government and financially secure mm -hmm. if you so, can do that. Okay. And that's done with transparency. So think of it like intelligence. So, so could I, could I make this frame is that um, transparency sits on the other side? Like if, if we have a spectrum control, transparency is on the other side, right? So with less transparency comes more control and right. with less control comes more transparency. Would that be accurate summation of where you're right. sort of Although, Yeah, but you need, you need to add in there. Part of it is transparency, but the other is mind control. Okay. So, so it's not enough to have transparency now. We need protection and, and uh, what's the right word? Resiliency for mind control. Okay. And how do we get that? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't have the answer. <laughs> Education, I've done, probably education. I have done everything in my power to try to protect myself, my team, um, and our projects from the influence of mind control. And I would say I'm lucky if I get a C minus. So yeah, okay. See, I've got a um I did a post uh, the other day on Twitter. It was uh it said, You're very hard to control when you're healthy, you're very hard to manipulate when you're clear, and you're very hard to influence when you're sovereign. So I think we Definitely agree um, right. in that case. I, I think sovereign individuals are very difficult to um, to to control their minds because um, they not not only do they fundamentally have a disdain for uh, what I call fiat authority, which which is unorganic authority, but they um, they are interested in living as individuals, not as a uh, as a component in some homogenous collective, which is basically right. how um, how the world, you know, wants us to live at the moment, which is ridiculous. Right. So so I see uh, a spectrum of people allowing themselves to be completely controlled to uh, using their intelligence and using their sovereignty 
uh, being remarkably free. Mm -hmm. What I have never been able to achieve yet is how can a significant number of the people who choose to be sovereign help inspire and lead others who want to do the same? Because you need you need a critical mass to really start to make headway on the economy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. So let me just write this down because I think I have an answer for this. And so how do we inspire the others to follow suit and become sovereign individuals? So, um, Well, you, you need a critical mass of sovereign individuals in a place. Mm -hmm. Remember when I said the currency to be in balance needs the real assets in balance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's food, energy, shelter. Mm -hmm. So, so let's just pretend for a second to make this simple. We're doing a currency, a community currency. Mm -hmm. How do we get the food, energy, and shelter sufficiently independent and resilient in that place so that the currency can function and go? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and what would be your answer to that? You need a critical mass of people who are willing to do that and enough people to do that so that they could outwit what the satellites are going to do to stop them. Okay. And, and what makes them willing to do that? I, I would think, you know, so I'll, I'll just talk for myself because I can't talk for everybody. But I think if you see where Mr. Global wants to take the system, you would do anything. There is, you know, we are better dead than going to where Mr. Global intends to go. So that means there's nothing I will not do to stay out of Mr. Global's trap. And, and it's clear you have to rebuild a healthy, responsible economy, you know, and you can't do it one person at a time. Some occasionally you'll see a phenomenal person who can go do it themselves, but generally, you know, our civilization depends on cooperation and specialization. So community, um, community. yeah, community. Exactly. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I would 20% agree with you. The reason I would say that is those words would come out of someone like me, you, Joe, Mark Moss, et cetera. Um, I, I wrote a, race, a, a series of pieces recently called the remnant, um, the remnant and the Masses and the Remnant, the Parasite and the Masses. And basically I differentiated between archetypical humans. Um, and in particular, what I said was that the 80-20 rule applies and it applies to basically everything. And 80% of people are lemmings and they will walk into a free world with a smile on their face and they will walk right into dystopian gulags with a smile on their face. They won't know the difference. So, they have so, zero bearing on it. So it's up to the 20% of us, the critical mass, to actually to create a model that is free and designed for sovereign individuals as opposed to the panopticon um, version of the world that we're um that we seem to be marching into but lemmings so, don't matter uh, i disagree because i feel much more warm and fuzzy about the 80 percent. so let me let me use my percentage because i think you're you're on to a very important and good dynamic that we need to talk about so what i've found and this applies to any company any government any enterprise as well as any community, 10% of the people, so you say 20%, my experience has been 10%. So you grew up in Australia. So I, I'd accept 20% for Australia. No, no, no. I actually, I, I go by the rule of the 20% of the 20% of the 20% of the ones that make the change. So it's actually 1% yeah. that really makes the change. Okay. But let's just, well, let's but just I, bear it's, with it's me. Pareto 10, principle. Yeah, 10% totally. 10, 10 of the people 
in a place or a company are what I would call net energy plus. So Mm -hmm. I just met you, but clearly you're a a phenomenally net energy plus guy. And the entrepreneurs are almost always net energy. Mm -hmm. 80% are going to follow whoever is in charge. And then you've got 10% who are net energy minus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And if you read management or if you run companies, you know, basically the idea is you keep the 10% net energy minus in the corner, you get the 10% net energy plus running things and you get the 80% following them. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the key to a successful human society is that we have respect and love for all humans, you know, but the, but the net energy minus got to stay in the corner. So I feel very positive about the 80%. Um, and I know that when the 80% follow the 10% net energy plus the speed at which you can turn a company around, when you walk into a turnaround totally. situation, you know, it takes no time to turn it around because you just got to get the, the 10% minus in the corner, mm-hmm. put the 10% plus in charge and it can, it changes overnight. It's remarkable to watch it. And, and the, the challenge that we have and the, the problem I ran into when I was trying to do community development is Mr. Global is great at finding the net energy minus guys and, and having you. you make crazy. Thank so you. The question is how do we protect ourselves from that sabotage? That's one of the kinds of sabotages we have to deal with. Thank you for mentioning that because my, my whole thesis in this piece that I wrote and where I separated the remnant, the parasite and the masses was that okay. The remnant, which in your case is the 10%, which in my case is the 20%. And then you can kind of, like I call it, that if the if there's an 80-20 split, the remnant are 20%, and then there's like the active remnant are 20% of the 20%. And then right. there's the radical remnant, which are the 20% of the 20% of the 20%. So it's Pareto kind of all the way down. And, right. and the, the more in that 20% you get, the more of a you know revolutionary or more of a leader entrepreneur you are, right? And that distribution is existent everywhere in nature, in the universe, in skill and talent, music and everything. Um, And then what I kind of call the parasite, which you would say is the negative 10%, they're kind of what I call either the jealous members of the masses or the, um, the failed remnants, right? So they're people who just couldn't make it. And instead of um, adding value to society, what they do is they uh, devolve to the lower version of themselves and they look to extract from society Uh because that's, that's easier. Like entropy is always easier than uh, progress, right? It's always easier to tear right. something down than it is to build it up. It's always easier. But I find it's relatively easy to teach your 20% how to manage them where the problem lies is, you know, Mr. Global is a genius at accessing them and accessing using them. them. Yeah, totally. And so the problem is not them. You can handle them. The problem is handling them when Mr. Global's minions who are very capable and very professional at this recruiting are- them are recruiting them, managing them, financing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you, I grew up in a very poor neighborhood, mm-hmm. but it was it didn't take long for that 20% to find each other. Totally. Okay. So it could be an 80-year-old black grandmother. Uh, you know, my father was a surgeon, but the but the the those those leaders would just magically find each other, sort of it's a field dynamic. And they could control the neighborhood because if anybody misbehaved, they could cut off their money. And then the government made sure, you know, came in and they made sure whether by dealing the drugs or, you know, bringing in HUD subsidy that they could subsidize the slugs. And then suddenly the net energy plus people couldn't do slug management because they couldn't cut off their money. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Mm -hmm. Global is a master at that. And and those, you know, you and I should really have a conversation about deep state politics because 
because predator evasion for not just ourselves, but the whole community, whether it's a network or uh, a place is where, where I've never seen us excel. And that's where I'd like to see us excel. So, okay. So, so let's weave that concept into the, in, into this problem solving uh, track that I'm trying to go. So, so you mentioned, first of all, that transparency is important to counteract control. We need to build sovereign individuals in order to counteract mind control. Um, we need to then take right. these sovereign individuals, enable them to build communities in order to become sovereign communities such that they can better manage the, the delinquents and lead the, the 80% towards um, a better world. So, 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 so their ingredients. You mentioned Mr. Global comes in and like a wrecking ball and set up every single time because that's what he's good at. So, right. Well, but remember, Mr. Global is trying to get his dividend. Correct. He wants, he was, he's a parasite, right? So he, he just wants something for nothing, basically. Uh, right. You guys work and I'll benefit, you know, right. uh, I'll, you, you go to the gym and I'll lose the weight. Like that, that's the, <laughs> that's the version of the world that Mr. Global lives in, which is that, as we know. So like, it, it doesn't align with the physical laws of the universe. Like, you know, if I could, if, if, you know, if someone else could do the training for me, I would sit at home all day and eat Cheetos and watch TV. Right. Like, and I would lose the weight like that, that but that's just not how reality works. Although Mr. Global and the rest of the Let's think that we can somehow structure the world in that way so that we can suck from the productive people and get something for nothing. Unfortunately, um, that sends the world on a path to hell, which is right. But let's let's just step back for a second because you know we're assuming Mr. Global is doing what Mr. Global is doing because Mr. Global is evil. Mm-hmm. And you I know, actually in, don't think so. I I, I actually right, think it's, um, I, it's an emerging I think phenomenon. Mr. Global. Mr. Global's job is much harder than you think. Mm-hmm. No, I, I would agree. I don't, and, I actually and we think don't, it's an emergent phenomenon. We, we can't, you know, if, if I could see anything, it would be a complete profile of the risk issues that Mr. Global is managing because a lot of the really crazy things happen because Mr. Global is managing very significant risk and can't, in a secret system can't share with us what that risk is. Well, that, and also they've tied themselves up in a million ways um, because every single decision that any individual entity makes on planet earth has trade-offs and consequences. Um, right. And when you lie in one direction, you need to then create a lie in another direction. And as those lies compound, you end up right. creating a very fragile system Right. That is held together by duct tape and band-aids. Um, and you've got to you've got to do ever more ridiculous things in order to maintain the semblance of leadership and calm so, so that me, people don't lose their minds, right? Alex, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Let's pretend you're Mr. Global. Mm-hmm. And let's pretend you have breakthrough energy. You can bring out energy that is, you know, on the margin, the variable cost is essentially zero but you know, it can be weaponized. Would you, but you need to bring it out because if you don't, the environmental situation is not going to go well to bring it out. Would you want total control? I mean, if I'm Mr. Global, I, 
am under the illusion that you can control the uncontrollable. So I look at a complex system, I try and distill it into some sort of linear model, and then I try and assume that all of the constituents of that complex system are just numbers on a spreadsheet. And then I try to impose my model onto reality. So I kind right. of, I, I, I naturally am predisposed towards confusing the territory for the map. And that's what I do. So therefore, in believing that my map is accurate, irrespective of how much it represents the territory, I impose that map on everyone. And I say, you must follow these rules and guidelines, because if you don't, then my map is broken, and then I can't release whatever I want to release. So I'm always going to be predisposed to trying to maintain and hold as much control as possible, because that's the model of the world. That's the frame. That's the paradigm I come from. Right. Okay. So, um, so anyway, so, so I, I actually think that when you come from that paradigm, um, you know, you, you, I learned stunt driving when I was 25 and this is like a little anecdote, but when you're losing control in a vehicle, um, you let go, you let go. Thank you. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now I used to race cars when I was in high school. There you go. Okay. So, you know, so you know exactly what that means. So this is complex systems manage to auto correct and they auto correct because they have feedback loops and feedback mechanisms inside that enables them to, they they basically complex systems find uh, pathways that enable them to compound on what works and correct what doesn't work. When we come in and this is, this aligns really with Dr. McCullough's work from a health perspective, right? Like, uh, what I call Keynesian or fiat health is this idea that you can just isolate a problem and then jab it with an injection or jab it with a drug and, you know, try and fix it. When in reality, right. you look at things holistically and you give the body what it needs, sunlight, right. good food, et cetera. And it finds its own homeostasis, finds its own dynamic equilibrium. Um, you don't just isolate stuff. And the same thing, like, an economy is just a macro version of the human body. It's a complex system in which if you just get the out of people's way they find their way that the pricing signal in the marketplace is the information medium through which they make decisions they make value judgments and when they make poor value judgments and poor decisions they get a bad result so they must correct and when they make good value judgments they can double down and they can compound right but here's the thing people who have no information about what's going on don't make good judgments that's you you can't you know, you say they don't take responsibility, but they can't because they don't have information. But let me, let me bring broken. this. Right. No, no, it's much bigger than that. I, I mean, mean I, the money, the money's right. de- broken. But if you look at what's broken, it's much, much bigger than that. So, um, you know, the governance is completely broken. But let, let me come back to right now, because I really, you know, one of my favorite quotes from politics is to be a hero. You must first survive. Mm -hmm. I'm watching a control grid snap into place. Um, I don't know if you saw the announcements from the Russians and the Americans about regulating crypto, um, or you saw in the EU, they're trying to morph the the green passport or the vaccine passport. Now they're calling it a private digital identity wallet. And we're watching the tax authorities add biometrics. You know, PayPal is adding and all the online systems adding. So you're watching the financial system coming in and slowly getting closer and closer to building a control grid. Mm -hmm. But that control grid is not so much control of the technology as the people. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you've 
looked at the Australian forms, but you know, you require the exchanges to license. You switch the payment system so the on-off ramp is through the Australian, the big banks. Mm-hmm. Now the Brits are coming out and saying cybersecurity efforts has, have to be pr- professionalized. And of course, everybody's getting mind controlled through their computer or their smartphone. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got a control grid snapping into place, which is not just control of money or cryptos, it's control of people and everything. And, and it works right now. For the last 30 years, it works like a covert social credit system but it's mm-hmm. invisible and it's covert and people don't, you know, they, they know the financial line and the surveillance mind control line and the covert operation lines are integrated and connected, but it hasn't been made overt. And one of the reasons it hasn't been made overt is they haven't been able to bring the constitutions down, although they're trying, mm-hmm. but at some point they're making enough progress with the vaccine passports and the QR codes that they're going to start snapping this thing into place. And that to me is what has to be stopped. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how do we stop that? And I, and I honestly think that there's only one tool in the arsenal to do that. Um, and I think you know what I'm going to say, but um, I, want to, I want to prove to you why that's the tool. And there's a, what you might view as an unpopular opinion, but the holy grail of this whole control grid, as you mentioned, um, is the capacity to control uh, human action, right? Because if you can control human action, you own a person. Um, no, it's to control human. Uh, well, because there's you, you have to control thought. Oh, you don't even have to control desire thought before before ah. you control the action. No, you don't, because if you if you if you own the money. If you have a central bank digital currency, you don't even have to bother controlling the thought or the belief. You control the action point, and then the thought and the belief has to change in order no, to be aligned. Money, money is an important piece. It's an important leg of the control system, but it's only a piece. It's not the whole deal. Well, let, let me not- ask you this. Let me ask you this. If, um, if your bank account is completely owned by me as an authority and that same authority owns or controls your, what you say online, and what you say on YouTube and what you say on Facebook and what you say on right. your messages. Um, and if you say something I don't like, and then I just turn off your money. So then you can't travel anywhere. You can't eat. Right. I have the ultimate control of you. So that's really the right. Holy grail. I, I don't see anything better. Like I can know like- it's true. It's no, it's true that, that when you get that complete trend. So money now is a control system, but it's not the Holy grail of the kind of transaction control. So you're talking about a complete transaction control grid. I call I, it the the control grid. I'm talking about um, a central bank digital currency, which will come out where they can place expiry dates on your money, where they can, if you know, they don't like if you're a dissident, right? If you're, right. That's that is the most important part of the control grid, but it's not the only. It's totally okay. it's not the only. Yeah, they all have right. to come together. But right. if I have that. I don't have to bother with um, trying to propagandize your mind. Yes, you do. To, oh, I mean, yes, you do. Yes, it you makes, do. Look, it makes yes, it easier. Yes, you do. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Let, let's, let, maybe my comment is a bit strong. So it's not, I don't have to worry about it. I still do. No, what it tells but, me is your life has been lucky so far. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm a I'm a donkey when it comes to people telling me what to do. I don't listen to anyone. So, um, so maybe maybe it's not a lot. No, but, but it sounds like you haven't dealt with a lot of covert operations. Uh, beg to differ. I'll tell you some stories yeah. in private one okay. day. Um, okay. You know, I've had my bank accounts, my credit cards. I've been locked out of the financial system, like all sorts of stuff. Right. Happened, um, in an attempt to you know shut me out of a country. So, anyway, lo- long story, but um, I. I know that look, controlling the mind, controlling thoughts, controlling people's beliefs and all that sort of stuff, or, or I wouldn't even call it control, attempting to control, because that, that's what propaganda is. It's influence. You know, that, right. that's all these things are. They're not actually control their influence. The, the problem is that people have been, that their, their will has been eroded over time that, right. you know, influence basically looks like control. The, the, the point of control though really is, um, and this is the most important part, as you said, in the control grid is if, if I can just turn off your money um, based on what you said or who you hung around with or the way you looked at somebody or who you know, you're associated with, you, you have zero power as an individual. Right. Like zero. That, that's the ultimate. That's the holy grail of what they want is they can introduce a CBDC, tie it to your vaccine passport, to your movement right. passport. Right. It's all over. It's game right. over. Right. I couldn't agree more. Okay. So you mentioned before um, to do that, they're going to need to bring down the constitutions, right? Like of different countries, particularly the American constitution being, you know, the, the standout, right? Right. So does, would that assertion imply that you believe a constitution is the cornerstone of good governance, like good governance has to emerge from a good constitution. Would, would I be right in assuming that? Good, good governance has to emerge from a covenant, which is, uh, which is codified in formal law, but is embraced in a culture which does mm-hmm. the, pr- the, the primary enforcement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, 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 and that covenant, could, could we say one manifestation of that so, covenant would be a constitution? Well, I would say the U.S. Constitution is now literally a spiritual and cultural covenant mm-hmm. within the United States people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's no longer really being followed by the government and all that sort of stuff, right? They're trying everything oh. they can to contravene it, right? <laughs> they're, they're doing everything they can to contravene it, but I cannot, words cannot express how significant its protection, how much protection it is provided, no matter how mm-hmm. weak it's been. And mm-hmm. um, and it is very significant, and uh, and the effort to bring it down is also very significant. Totally, totally, I right. can imagine. So, so my question is then, b- before we get into how we solve the CBDC problem, is um, is how the hell did we get here, and why was even something as significant as the Constitution eroded over time? Like, and 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 how could we conceivably? Um, avoid something like that. I know you mentioned transparency and stuff like that before, but the, it, it's a deeper problem. It's not just like, oh, yep, we ask for transparency and the genie gives it to us. It's like, how do we actually do that? So, but may, so maybe the, before the how, like, let's say the why, like, what, why the hell is the constitution under attack? Well, because we're, I mean, what we're experiencing is a coup. Correct. But I mean, right. Ha, like, if the constitution was so good, um, like, it maybe should have defended itself better. Like, and I'm playing devil's advocate here is like, how could we have avoided being under a coup that is seems to be so effective today? 
So, so we, we have been up against an invisible machinery. I mean, I would describe the social credits or the covert social credit system. So I go back to the control grid. If you look at the control grid operating, um, you know, operating again on the, out of the federal credit and the nuts and bolts of the financial system out of the telecommunications and the mind control and the propaganda and out of the covert operations, I would say that we have never reached a point until COVID-19 when a significant number of highly educated professional people with skills and resources were prepared to admit that they were up against a coup. In other words, Mm -hmm. you couldn't see the majority of the population could not see the control grid moving in on them until very, very recently. Okay. So, so when did it start though? So, so this, cause I really want to dr- tie the roots back because we might find so, something. There. So this goes back centuries. I mean, the like, control grid goes back centuries, but before the constitution, after the constitution before. Okay. So if you, if you look at the history of currencies, you know, there is a pattern that I would love to see research of you have a plague you institute plague laws, you use the plague laws to reset the economy mm-hmm. and you bring out a new currency. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, we've been to this movie before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but for my lifetime, I would say the vast majority of people felt that they were the beneficiaries of the system and they weren't going to interfere with how the system was operating in the growing corruption because their uh, their fiduciary obligation to themselves and their family was better served by keeping their mouth shut and going along. And it, so, it has only been until recently that you see a critical mass of people saying, okay, we have to do something. We're not going to go along. So plague instituting a new currency, the institutionalization of a new currency and the issuance of a new currency, what problem does that bring with it? So I'm just guessing, because I don't know, I don't have the, you know, I've never done the research, but my guess is if you have to get an economy back into real asset balance, you're going to have to reset. Mm-hmm. So you run a system, you use it to harvest, it gets out of balance because you're harvesting so much, you've got to bring it back and reset. Mm-hmm. Okay. But does that come with its own set of fire? Uh, um its own set of problems because let's say you reset and you issue a new currency, then what's the problem there? Well, but you don't, you don't, the, the reset has to be how you get the real assets and the people back in balance. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the expected, I mean, what have we done? So, so starting in 1998, we started to have a financial coup in America and probably elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that $21 trillion is missing from federal accounts from fiscal 1998 to 2015. So what we did is we issued $21 trillion of debt and we pulled the $21 trillion out of the back door. And now that paper is in the pension funds and we've promised retirements and massive amounts of medical expenditures for an aging population. And so the question is now that the money has been moved out the back door, how do you let them down you know, you're going to abrogate your your commitments on health retirement. Yeah. yeah, totally. And and the question is, as a political matter, how do you engineer that? Will you do it with a reset? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you blame the magic virus or you blame, I don't know, the Russians, whoever. Yeah, the but, animal spirits. But you, yeah, you, you, right. You don't 
you know, you've got an entire generation of people who believe we're in a financial collapse. They don't understand there's a difference between a bankrupt government and, and a bank robbery. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even both. <laughs> you know, there's a, there, so, so there is so a difference I'm, between them, I'm, but there's two yeah, going but, on. But let me tell you the little good news secret. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the United States economy, the United States is one of the most amazing pieces of real estate on the planet. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the economy and the damage we've done to the people and the environment, the fact we that have it's an still economy, going is extraordinary. Right. We have an economy that has a negative return on investment. But if you re-engineer the financial system, so you align living capital and financial capital, and you run the economy to build health, you know, the speed at which we could start to generate fantastic amounts of wealth that could begin to deal with some of our liabilities and obligations is fantastic. They see that opportunity too. And if you see what they're moving to do, they're just moving to do it, you know, with a very different framework that you and I might use to do it. But the wealth is there to be created. It's there to be created, but they want to do it in a way that they can acquire 80% of that wealth without having to do anything for it. Absolutely. Or more. more. I, I, he's right. More. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, so is the question here, because you you mentioned that, you know, we seem to be, you know, every century or two or whatever it is, um, there's a plague, there's institutionalization of a new currency. um, And then we, you know, we bring assets and um, currency into balance and then we start again and then we end up with the same problem again and we just reset again. So is this, something that humanity is going to be perpetually involved in forever or could that cycle be cut this is why i i would love to find a way to bring widespread transparency to the control grid Mm -hmm. and widespread transparency to the question of who is mr global i just did a salary report for two hours with joseph farrell where we called who is mr global and we walked through all the theories of who is mr global Mm -hmm. and um you know, but well, I mean, here, here's our problem on planet Earth is we have a secret governance system which is harvesting us, and we have together with new technology created a massive a massive culture of corruption, mm-hmm. and and so that you know most people when I tell them that say I just don't want to deal with that I'm going to go off and create a gold a gold back currency or I'm going to go off and create a crypto, and find a workaround and there mm-hmm. is ultimately no workaround around this. So you think there's no workaround or, you th- or, or do you think? I, I, I think I always believe there's a solution. I believe, yeah. you know, I used to have, I'm a very spiritual person and I used to have a pastor would say, if we can face it, God can fix it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe if we can sit down and say, our problem is we have a secret governance system. It's not working for us. We have to change it. And that's the problem. I mean, mm-hmm. the problem is we're having a global coup. And, and the people running it and what they're doing is a problem. That's the problem that needs to be dealt with. Okay. So I want to dig into that problem. I want to see if you agree okay. with this idea first. Um, is uh, the, the imbalance that occurs over time. So after, so we've had a reset, you know, plague or whatever, we issue a new currency, things come back into balance and we end up unbalanced again. Would you agree that that is similar to what happens with, bushfires right so like if you have a regular small bushfire on an annual basis and you don't stop it you let it sort of burn through what happens is it's actually 
it's it's good for the forest because it naturally you know burns what it needs to burn off and then it is able to continue versus what we seem to do is we try and avoid all bushfires at all costs and then once every 10 years we end like a fire erupts that burns everything down burns the topsoil and actually destroys the environment right so what we seem to have is an economic version of that that happens every 100 years is instead of allowing the market to naturally correct so that um because assets and currency will always kind of they'll never be perfectly balanced they'll always kind of move around their own equilibrium but instead of doing that what we end up doing is we we take the easy path which is oh there's a bit of an imbalance so let's just fix that imbalance with inject some capital or you know do this and do that and what ends up happening is slowly by slowly we start to create this imbalance until it's so imbalanced like the elastic band snaps it breaks and the whole thing has to come down and we have to reset so so would you argue that we seem to have that problem right we seem to be trying to control the uncontrollable and we end up breaking it every century or two or whatever it is would that be a good analogy i i would say that that the leadership is trying to drain off way too much. And as a result, it causes this pattern, which gets back to where's the dividend going? The dividend's going to whoever has the capacity to, you know, be in that position, right? Yeah. So, so, but see, I, I, where I was trying to get to with this is that Mr. Global didn't just wake up one day and be born like Mr. Global is a result of prior causations, right? And right. you could you could probably tra- track Mr. Global back to George Washington, maybe, and not saying he was Mr. Global, but let's say right. you know, he started with a good intent, but each generation that came after him, it was easier for them to eat the fruit, the forbidden fruit, right? It's like, okay, I shouldn't do this, but you know what? It's easier for us to just bail out the bank. Um, or it's easier for us to just do this. It's easier for us to socialize the losses that were made of mistake, you know, that were made because there was a mistake by one of my pals in action. So what ends up happening is behavior systemically decays generationally and the mistakes actually get larger. And then because you've got this sort of- Yeah, but I'm I'm not convinced that that's inevitable. Okay, interesting. I'm not- I mean, history would suggest it's inevitable. It seems that every single empire, history, every single time we've right, done but, this, but we seem to come we, back here and do it again. We've been through a period where new technology comes out, we let things blossom, then we centrally control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and we're mm-hmm. progressively moving towards more and more central control, making the system, as you described, more and more unstable. Mm-hmm. And, and we're in another one of these periods where we've been prototyping with new technology and now it's consolidating mm-hmm. into central control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. But so, it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to operate like that. So how do we stop it from operating like that? That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, what, 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 you know, my tactic has been, you know, bring transparency and, and find out how to prototype decentralized economics that create explosive new wealth. Mm -hmm. And where I keep falling down is I'm not able to get a critical mass of people to figure out how to be, protect themselves from the mind control and the sabotage. Okay. So, okay. So, so this is a really, this is the part we want to dig into. So you want to create decentralized 
um, governance or financial control. Or yeah, something. but remember, part, part of what we're trying to do, because let's go back to each individual. We want, we want each individual to be free, mm -hmm. but we also want each individual to be free to collaborate and build markets and transact mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. And, and to do that, they need to be able to make sure if they grow food, they get to eat the food they grow or mm -hmm. trade it for trade like, it. right. So we want them to get, you know, to eat what they grow or be able to trade mm -hmm. and transact with integrity mm -hmm. and not have it siphoned off by Mr. Global and the corrupt mm -hmm. systems, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and what is going on is if you, uh, the, the investment in many places. So if we were to look at investment on a place-based basis, the majority of the taxes up and credit and money coming back in is invested not to optimize equity and the health and of the people in the environment, the living yep. capital. It's being invested to control and it is phenomenally wasteful. Totally. Totally. I mean, I can't tell you if I was going to build an underground base, it's one cost. If I'm going to build it on a secret basis and keep it secret, it's explosively more expensive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and that translates out into every aspect of the, the local economy in, in certainly in the United States. Totally. Um, and if, and, and the, the bigger problem here is not that it costs more is that you have the ability to siphon off the money irrespective of right. cost because then right. you don't care how much it costs like right. if you're if you're mr global if you're a bureaucratic state um so what if you know the, the difference to you of 100 billion or 100 trillion is zero like because no 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 it's big remember because you've got to keep it floating without inflation so it's not you in in one sense you can't print with impunity you, you can't print with impunity but you don't really care so you'll push it to whatever limit is feasible without breaking things because right. you know you, you have your own uh, calculation to make your own calculus is how do i get as much as i can as possible for free without killing the host because a parasite requires the host to continue operating right. otherwise right. the parasite dies with it so okay so we 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 have that problems the problem is waste the problem is um secrecy the antidote is some sort of transparency, um, a covenant. Right, but let, let people. me let me stick back because I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm hugely into the short term right now. Mm -hmm. This control grid is snapping into place, and this control grid controls by controlling people one person at a time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have AI, they have software, you know, and the more money the taxpayers pay for this control grid to operate, the more money Mr. Global makes and his companies. Mm -hmm. So, so from a, from a financial standpoint, there's no amount of money that you can't spend on the control grid. Mm -hmm. Now I would say, I, I know very few people who see that control grid operate in their intimate space, mm -hmm. let alone understand that it's there. Correct. Totally. So people are blind to it. So, so how do we get them to see it before it snaps shut on them? Um, and that's, let, let me get back to crypto because, you know, it, it's a separate conversation. If we were going to have a financial system that had a digital component, how would you make it more efficient? And I think you and I would probably agree on many of the different 
kinds of things that might make efficiency, but that's a separate conversation. The, the, the challenge I've had with many people who are enthusiastic about Bitcoin and crypto is they don't see the control grid and they don't see the danger of the control grid. And that, that, that results in them trying to talk individual and retail investors into doing things oblivious to the dangers of the control grid. Let me clarify one thing. I'm extraordinarily enthusiastic about Bitcoin and I'm extraordinarily pessimistic about crypto. Right. Uh, no, so, I understand. I understand. So there is a there is a universal difference between the two. Right. For me, right. crypto is exactly how we walk into the control grid problem. Bitcoin is the only way to walk out of it. Okay. And and so so let and, and I'll explain. So you don't why. think you don't think any of the others Zero, nothing. Every okay. single one of them is okay. Mr. Global's attempt to discredit have, Bitcoin. Have you ever written something on this exact point that I could read? I have uh, written one thing um, and I've got something that I'm actually in the process of writing now, but I'll definitely send you the piece that I okay. have written okay. on it. But yeah, it, b- b- crypto is the most effective attack by Mr. Global on Bitcoin. And I'll say that again. Crypto is the most effective attack by Mr. Global on Bitcoin. So okay. they, they, they stand in stark contrast. All these monkeys running around screaming about crypto, all they're doing is they're walking right into the trap, which is the creation of a new currency that is controlled by a, a foundation, an institution, a group, a company, whatever, whatever thing you want to place there and creates a central point of leverage that Mr. Global can get access to. And mark my words, I said this two years ago on a podcast um, and people thought I was crazy and it's happening right now with the um, World Economic Forum partnering with the Ethereum Foundation. I said Ethereum is going to be the best way for the globalists, Mr. Global, to Mm -hmm. enact the central bank digital currency because they're going to do it under the guise of innovation. They've got the perfect little poster child, that Vitalik, um, who you know wants to replace mothers with synthetic wombs because he thinks that's how we're going to get equity. Moron. So they're they're a perfect little group because the Ethereum Foundation, every single coin other than Bitcoin, is run or operated or issued or controlled by some single group. Bitcoin, on the other hand, and I was writing some notes as you were talking, and I really want to give you a new framing for Bitcoin is Bitcoin is like a, it's an, it's a constitution enforced by the individual. So I'll explain it like this is what Bitcoin, what makes Bitcoin special is that it's not a program and it's not a technology. It is actually a, a set of rules, a constitution that we voluntarily opt into. So when I'm a node operator of Bitcoin, for example, all I'm doing is I'm just running the software that is Bitcoin. And the software that is Bitcoin is just a series of rules. 21 million coins, divisible to eight decimal places, blocks every 10 minutes, blah, blah. So it's this set of transparent rules that if I can change, I'm open to changing it. So I can change the rules of Bitcoin if I want to. But what happens is that I'm immediately out of sync with everybody else. And I'm no longer on the Bitcoin network. I'm on something else. I'm on Bitcoin Alex's version. And then I have to convince everybody to move their economic mass or their economic uh, mm-hmm. gravity off to me. 
But what I'm doing in doing that is I'm then going right back to the original problem that Bitcoin's solving, which is Bitcoin says, hey, money is the tool that we use to encode time and energy. Let's place it outside of anybody's potential control. Let's put it with the laws of gravity, thermodynamics, the speed of light. So like none of us can control those. They all, they apply equally to all of us. Let's place money in that realm. Right. And then but let's go and do other stuff. But how do you do your non-digital component? Uh, very easily. Bitcoin is not digital. Bitcoin is information. So, so this is another layer that I wanted to kind of help you um, illuminate. So everybody is that- puts their money in the wallets and they can transact in physical space outside of digital space without totally digital totally i could i could i could take my um a bitcoin transaction and i could write mm-hmm. it on a piece of paper i could write it in emojis and i could post it to the other side of the world and you could then broadcast the transaction like but the only thing that makes bitcoin digital is that the internet is just a useful communi- uh, communication medium bitcoin transcends that because bitcoin is purely just math and information that's all it is Bitcoin is the law of large numbers being used to associate private and public keys in a way that the public key cannot be reversed. And the holder of the private key is the private property owner of the Bitcoin associated with that key. So, so right, it, but you still you still come back to the same problem I said about if the control good controls people, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how perfect you can make something like Bitcoin. It, it's just, it's simply not enough. Well, it's it's not enough on its own, but it's the it's the one thing that makes 99% of the difference because what it does is it, it does a couple of things simultaneously. Number one, it gives us some money. So I, I, I wrote something here before we even started. I call it, I call Bitcoin free banking and gold in information form that anyone can run on a $100 piece of hardware at home. So picture it like a world in which... Um, Every bank is just a $100 node operating at home, running the Bitcoin network. And every single one of those nodes around the world are in sync. It can right. sync but, up through but you, you need through those people mm-hmm. who can maintain themselves outside of the control grid. And they need to have the real assets to be able to do that, do that together. Totally. So, so, and this is why we need something like Bitcoin, because what it does is in its appreciation, it gives us the economic means to acquire the real assets, energy and food, primarily they're the two that we need, in order to start to make ourselves sovereign across every other dimension. Bitcoin's kind of the linchpin. If you can't do that, you'll never catch up to the other ones. But in doing so, we have the economic capacity to do so. And simultaneously, and this is where this is where Bitcoin is simultaneously defense mechanism and an attack mechanism. It is actually for every dollar you put into Bitcoin, it's a dollar that is not in the existing system. And what happens is it starts to create a drain on the existing globalist form of money, which is predicated on the capacity of an institution to control it. Okay, so that's not what I've seen. How's that not what you've seen? So so I'm not saying here's the thing, Alex. I'm not I'm not saying that what you're saying couldn't come true or be true. What I'm saying is that's not what I've seen. What I've seen is the central bankers, you know, somebody primed the pump on Bitcoin. So the question is, where'd that money come from? Who did it? But if anything, Bitcoin, no, it wasn't you. 
What's in you? You're looking at millions of people like me who all they did was made the conscious choice to swap their toilet paper money issued by a government into a incorruptible energy money that the uh, government can't get their hands on. That's that's not what I saw. What I saw, because I've lived through a lot of pump and dumps financially, mm-hmm. and somebody was pumping Bitcoin. Somebody was working Bitcoin. The original pump of Bitcoin, do you know what the pump was? It no. was the pump, the pump from nothing to a dollar. Um, and the person right. who pumped it was um, the guy who bought two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. Right. But I, I'm not I'm not thinking of that. I'm thinking of the pump that went from, you know, the pump that went from a thousand to ten thousand or fifteen thousand or twenty. That, yeah. Right. That, that, that so, pump but, was just but the hold mania. On a second. If if you look at that pump, that pump worked fantastically for the central bankers because they were able to significantly pull money out of real assets they, or they were able to, to pull significant retail investment out of gold and silver and out of real assets into Bitcoin. Fantastic. That's, that's exactly where the flow should be going because um, the more people that hold Bitcoin and like... But but they did it because they wanted to buy real assets. So if they can move the retail guy over here into Mm -hmm. Bitcoin and crypto and they can buy the, it makes it cheaper for them to buy the accumulated, the assets. No, I don't think. Bitcoin will outperform. Bitcoin will outperform every single other asset, not by two to one or 10 to one, but a hundred or a thousand to one over the coming years. So if they want to. Maybe that's entirely dependent on what the regulators do. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Because yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin is a function of supply demand. There is, there is, right. um, but, of the 21 but, million Bitcoin that is available, 19 million has already been minted. Um, and of that 19 million, 15 or 16 million right. is already held off exchange. What I'm telling you, if the regulators wanted to shut down Bitcoin, you know, in a year, they could. No, the because regulators have not, not, not by controlling the technology, but by controlling the people. Now, the, the regulators have about could, as much power to shut down Bitcoin as they have to shut down the number three or to turn off the letter E. May, maybe they don't shut it down. Maybe they just shut down the price and the liquidity. Totally. But, they can but, do that. Yes, they can. And 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 that's the issue that we have to deal with, because I I wish that what you were saying was true. I wish you were right, but you're not. And you're not because we have to find a way to stop the the control grid, number one, from locking in, but also from mind controlling and sabotaging the people. Because a network run by 100,000 people trading Bitcoin who are all mind controlled is going to be controlled. Don't think about trading. Think about the fact that when you're on the Bitcoin network, you're completely incompatible with the control grid. No, you're not. They can turn off the electricity. Uh, turning off the electricity is never a measure that they'll take because then everyone dies. You know, they don't have to turn off the electricity everywhere. Okay. And, and they don't have to do. 100% no, no, no. But, but, okay, to but, to, but to kill Bitcoin, you would have to do hundred percent everywhere. I, I'm not talking about killing it. I'm talking about making it not useful as an alternative system. It is. They don't have to useful. kill. They don't perfectly. have to. They don't. Ha- Again, I go back. You don't have to kill the technology to make the technology not liquid or to not price well. 
if you can control the people and that's what they can do. And I'm not saying that you can't get to a system of digital money, which isn't useful and can't do the kind of things you say, but to do that, we're going to have to deal with a control grid and the control grid is the control of people. Let's, let's think about it this way. So let's turn off the electricity. So, so, so my, my argument here is going to be based upon the idea that Bitcoin can outlast so they can impact its price. So, you know, let's say Bitcoin hits 250 grand over the next year or two because of institutional adoption, whatever other horse. Then let's say they, the governments freak out and they're like, look, there is money exiting the system and moving onto this parallel monetary system that we can't control. Let's ban it in the US. Let's ban it here. Let's do some coordinated ban. Let's turn off the, let's do whatever we want. It'll cause a hit and it might drop the price of Bitcoin from 250 to 100 grand, to 60 grand, to 20 grand, whatever. Scare a bunch of people out. The beauty is they'll throw everything in the kitchen sink and it won't die. It'll still continue. And then as people start to realize that this thing is so resilient that there is no amount of coordinated effort on the part of any government or any globalist regime to turn it off and to kill it, Bitcoin will have continued running transactions, mining blocks, doing everything that it's doing. Like, I mean, China just hit 60% of all miners got turned off in the space of a week and nothing happened. Nothing, zero. China took the biggest hammer it had and whacked yeah. Bitcoin. The hash rate sing- went down. The hash the hash rate went, but- I mean, the hash rate went down, but not a single Bitcoin transaction was missed. Not a single payment failed. Uh, not a single amount of Bitcoin was created or destroyed zero impact in the grand scheme of things the hash rate dropped and now it's back to where it was because mm-hmm. in real time this this amorphous complex network found its own natural equilibrium again by accessing power from other places and it rebalanced that is the most incredible feat of complex engineering that has ever existed in the history of mankind you have I this constitution disagree how well, t- tell me let's dissect that what do you disagree about uh there have been a lot of amazing engineering feats that's not nothing like this nothing like this there's not a single thing that exists on the planet that is as incredible as this in terms of its so capacity to be resilient you you have more affection and love for technology than i do no i i actually so- i think technology is a disaster for society and I don't view Bitcoin as a technology. I actually think Bitcoin moves us back to the age of the innovation in atoms and away from the age of the innovation in bits. Um, you know, I got a tweet, which is, you know, since that moron um, Mark Andreessen suggested that software is eating the world, um, software is not only eating the world, it's eating the world's soul. Um, Bitcoin will move us away from a world of bits and back into a world of atoms because Bitcoin is rooted in the laws of thermodynamics. And what it does is it gives us some money that nobody can fuck with. And as a result, people progress on the basis of merit, not on the basis of some sort of secret governance that they can create in order to so, reach. So this. last November, we talked a lot of retail investors into buying Bitcoin at 60,000, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's worth $37,000 and they're scared to death. Good. That's they should sell it. They, they should sell it and they should go to US dollars and they should go to the slave coin. For me, I have no remorse no, for those on, people. Come on, Alex. Seriously. I, I, I have no remorse for those people. I just wrote an article saying oh, 42 I have reasons why you should sell it. Oh, I have tremendous remorse for those people. 
I have zero because I have at the end of the day, if you take a moment to sit down and actually read about Bitcoin, understand what it represents, you're not in it for the quick buck and for the making of the money. You're in, like Bitcoin's do, a one-way street. Do you know? Do you know how hard they had to work for that money? They, and so, so what they should do is they should understand Bitcoin before buying it. See, I I bought Bitcoin. The first time I bought Bitcoin was at twelve hundred dollars, and within um, six months, it was worth two hundred bucks. What did I do? Right. I bought so, as so, much as I could. So I took the time to understand it. Right. So, so Alex, you understand, you know, the beauty of, of doing thing with free markets. And I share your enthusiasm for free markets. And I share your enthusiasm for transaction systems that are out of control. So I share that. And I think it's wonderful and I wish what you were saying was true. And I think there are times when it can be true, you know, where that dynamic can really work. But what I'm telling you is I'm watching a control grid that will minimize how much and where it can work and, and, and getting people involved in it who can't handle that. You can handle that. You're young, you're strong, you're bright. But getting people involved who can't handle that it runs the potential for great mess. And that is why if you want this to be true, what you and I and Dr. Mercola and all the people listening to this are going to have to do is come up with a way between governance and culture and, and managing the real asset technology. I wish that, that people had put the same passion into building local food systems and local energy systems that we put into building Bitcoin. I mean, that's the cut before. Because that's what's going to be required to make this go. It totally will. It, they, right. they are all interlinked. But the problem is it's a cut before the horse problem. But it can't, if we go you, and do you, that. You cannot do just the money and think the money is going to work for you. It's, it's it can't be just it's the money. Of enough. course. Of course, it can't be just it's the money. It's not enough. But right. you have to, you have but to. But you make it sound like it is enough. It's, it's the, it's the 99%. So, no, so it, absolutely not. <laughs> we, may, we may disagree on the percentages, but, but I'll, t- I'll tell you people, why. People it's, are the 99%. The it's, it's fine, financial but, technology, financial technology is a tool. Don't look and, at Bitcoin and, as a financial and, technology. And look at Bitcoin as the human technology. Great, the, the thing that builds a great civilization is people. Correct. So the eighty percent aren't lemmings and to be ignored and hated. No, they no, they are what we're all. trying. They are what we're trying to lift up and make great. They okay. are the people that we're trying to help be sovereign. Correct. So in order to make them sovereign, in order for an individual to be sovereign, an individual must be able to own the product of their labor. That is the right. cornerstone of sovereignty. Right. And to own the product of one's labor means to be able to own the thing that represents the product of one's labor. So you must be able to own your money. That's the first keystone. It cannot stand in a vacuum because without food, without shelter, you cannot live, right? So well, the you problem- have, so, so you have to be able not just to own it, but to transact it with other people who want to transact with you. Totally, exactly. That's but- where, where we're all running into trouble is on the transaction. Well, because the, the beauty of Bitcoin is it has zero transaction fr- friction, zero. Information is the easiest thing on the planet to transact. Right. But I have to transact. If I'm going to transact Bitcoin, unless I can do in person, I'm going to have to operate through Mr. Global's hardware, Mr. Global's under- 
under absolutely water not. cables. Absolutely yes, not. I am. No, you're not. <laughs> so I'm going to do this all without telecommunications. A, a, a bunch of a bunch of Bitcoiners literally just launched some satellites, and now you can beam your um your transaction to a satellite and beam it back down. Right. And that's can, helpful. Can, and there's Starlink too that you can use. Right. That's, that's, that's outside helpful, the traditional system. Correct. So so here's here's what happens is you you can't come in and create a fully functional parallel right. system from scratch. Right. It has to emerge, right. right? Right. And that's what Bitcoin's doing is that it's right. actually infected in, in a good way. It's like a virus that's infected the right. existing system and it's using its rails to right. but I, and I, operate Alex, outside of I appreciate all of that and I understand all of that. But every day I am watching the control grid operate. The con- mm-hmm. this, so I don't begin to know anything about Bitcoin compared to you. You're, you know a great deal about Bitcoin. I do diligence Bitcoin in 2017, and that was it. I haven't looked at it yeah. barely since. Okay, but I understand control. I don't know anybody in this world who understands control as well as I do, because I have spent so much time dealing with control legally, mm-hmm. financially, on the overt side, on the covert side. And what I am seeing is a group of people trying to do what you're doing and saying it's perfect and it's going to work who don't understand control and don't have a plan to deal with it. And I'm sympathetic because I've tried many things and they haven't worked. All we're but doing. Until, until we can have a serious understanding of what and how the control grid does and works and deal with it, in a million years, it's a sucker's bet what you're, what you're proposing. That's what I hear. It's okay, a sucker's bet. Okay, so if I may, I would, I would, I would counter with um, Buckminster Fuller's um, quote, which is, "You don't change the system from within; you I make totally the agree. old system obsolete by creating a new one." I totally agree, and I fully support everything you're doing, and I pray it works. So, so I guess, and I be, I would be delighted to help you get it to work in terms of my insight, if it could be useful. I would, I would love know. that. Like we, we, we want people with your insight on our side because what what the beauty of bitcoin is that it was built in a way that when you use you, you, and i love the word that you use transparency is that the most beautiful thing about bitcoin is that its security and its strength comes from its complete openness and transparency which is very different to if you look at normal technological systems and this is why i don't put bitcoin in the realm of a technology system normal technological systems whether it's like facebook or google or amazon or or the central bank digital currencies or whatever their security comes from building a wall and hiding everything inside and trying to obfuscate their security and that model is number one by definition, creates a two-tier society because you have the insiders and the outsiders. So number one, so it's flawed there. But number two is that- That's what you have with Bitcoin. The wall, no, not really. So let, let me let me explain. Culturally, oh yeah. Culturally, yes. But that's the, we're, that, we're at that stage- We haven't started to talk about phase. retail investors. And if we do, we go to a whole new conversation here. I, I actually wanted to spell the notion of investing in Bitcoin because I think it's madness. I think the only thing you should do is you should move the product of your labor into Bitcoin. It's like collecting gold while everybody else is still using seashells and arguing about which seashell is the best form of money. Um, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So you've got Bitcoin security model turns the system on its head is instead of using obfuscation as 
the model for security, it uses transparency. So transparency is actually baked into it. You mentioned before the way to shine a light on this stuff is to make everything transparent. The beauty of Bitcoin is its code base is entirely transparent. It's no, the, the operation of Bitcoin is open to anybody at any time, like literally no permission required. The rules of Bitcoin are entirely transparent and the security protocol, like the, the encryption standard, everything is completely transparent. There is nothing anybody can do with Bitcoin to create an unfair advantage. And when we think about what are the ingredients we want to create a monetary system upon which we can build better governance, that is a foundation that we can build on. It starts with the correct primitives. It starts with the primitive of radical transparency and incorruptibility. So, so that's where we have to start. Now, all of the other problems that come downstream from that, like how do we build better governance around it? How do we build more localized, like see, see the, the vision of the future that I see is not a world in which we have 250 nation states and definitely not a world in which we have one globalist state. We have a million cities, a million city states that are all competing to have more economically viable political models or governance models within their walls or within their territories, but that are aligned, you know, because they're, they're bound, they are all bound by a money that cannot be corrupted. Alex, do you think that this million city states that you've just mentioned is a way to avoid the control grid that Catherine is so concerned with? So it's, it's, it's a simultaneous process. So, so the thing is, as the control grid is, so, so you, you got to look at, again, we, we asked, what does Mr. Global want? Mr. Global is an entity or a group of people or whatever. Like it's all these people that view the world, not through the lens of complexity and individual human action, but view the world through my model is the model that you should all, sorry, that you must all abide by. Right. So, so it is a, it is a, attempt to enforce a linear model onto a complex territory. So it's, it's the confusion of the map with the territory. So Mr. Global is always going to want to create a control grid because in his mind, if I can get enough processing power, if I can get enough data, I can make the decisions on behalf of everybody. I don't believe in individual autonomy. I see all these individuals as tools for my enrichment and if I can snap them into a control grid, then fantastic. So Mr. Global is going to continue pushing that agenda. There is no way to convince Mr. Global otherwise. So then the question becomes, all right, what do we do? Do we, can, do we tell people that this is happening? And as we've seen, the more people we tell, you know, the more we get ridiculed and you know, people kind of laugh at us. There is a few, 20% of the 100% of people we tell, they like, holy shit, there is a problem here. And they start thinking about ways to solve it. But unfortunately, they're still operating within the same paradigm that Mr. Global has allowed them to operate in. So if I say, if I finally wake up and say, look, I'm snapping into a control grid, screw it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a bunch of people together. And we're going to build a community in a city. We're going to have our own energy and our own food. Mm -hmm. um, you go and do that without something like Bitcoin. What's going to happen is you're still using the US dollar, for example, or your, the local currency. No, you're not. No. What are you, what are you using then? You could be, you could uh, create your own currency. You could use gold and silver. You could use barter. You could use plenty of other fiat currencies. G gold and silver are very useless as currencies because if I'm walking around that's with a bunch not, of gold, that's well, absolutely well, it is. not true. I'll just not, beat not you over the head and take your gold. 
I'll just beat you over you the head and take the gold. Yeah, but a community can have a depository. Okay, so but then see so what we come back straight to the same problem is we've given them the depository, the 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 holding over the gold. So then we've actually created a trust problem. And maybe in the beginning as a community, that won't be a problem. But as that scales up, that is exactly where the problem was in the beginning is that we- Yeah, but Alex, if right there's a world this. where there's absolutely no physical security, there is no solution, including Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, well, here's, here's the question because you have much more faith in financial products and tools than I do. I hate financial products and tools. Trust me, well, Catherine, I want well, to get rid Bitcoin, of all of them. Bitcoin, Bitcoin makes is them all a financial product or tool. It looks like that. This is this is the Trojan horse. When when you're using it as to do transactions or a store of value, it's a financial product or tool. So so here's the here's the challenge. Bitcoin peaked what at a trillion dollars market cap, and now at it's maybe moment. 700 billion. It's like 1.5. Bitcoin. So, so approximately now it's 700 billion. So let's take all the people who own Bitcoin and that $700 billion. How much of those people invested in building resilient local food supplies, local energy supplies, and the local shelter and other resources they need to be in balance? You would be absolutely astonished by what's happening with Bitcoin from an energy perspective and Bitcoin from a food perspective. So Joel, for example, I think um, Dr. McCullough may have met him at a Mark Master's conference. So he's building out a cattle co-op in which people can invest directly into right. ownership of cattle that is regenerating land um, and enabling people to have a source of food that is outside of the current supply chains and food chains. Right. But of that, of that 700 billion market cap, and I appreciate a lot less money went in to create that 700 billion, how much has been reinvested in creating the real assets behind them that they need to be free? Hopefully zero at this point. And the reason I say that is because Bitcoin is probably about 1% or 2% of its total maturation. Over the coming decade. Well, but here's the thing. If you look at the real asset economy you need behind you to be free, you can't start doing it 10 years from now. In other words, if if you don't, if you haven't been doing it now, you know, you're going to be eating insects Correct. and synthetic food. Yeah, 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 so yeah, you've yeah. got to start now. And, and and that's what we're doing. So so it's happening simultaneously. Um, I said I hope zero because you know. From an economic standpoint, you want to hold on to your Bitcoin and not sell it. No, but absolutely, you do not. You yes. absolutely Ooh, yes, do not. Yes, you do. What? If people have no value, you're right. Then you want to hold on to your Bitcoin because your Bitcoin's going to go up. But if people have value and you want them to live and not die, you have to invest in them and the and the things that they need. Correct. So there's ways we can use the system against itself. So what I can do, for example, and this is what I do personally, is I never sell my Bitcoin if I need purchasing power, I borrow against the Bitcoin in the same way as I would against the house. And what I do is I use the dollar shitcoin to access purchasing power. And I just sit on my Bitcoin forever. I will never, ever, ever, ever sell it. I will use the, the system against itself, create velocity in that and acquire or build out. So either acquire real assets or build out real assets. In so you can perpetually using. increase your loans without ever paying them off. 
Of course. And, and how do you do that? Because the price of Bitcoin continues to appreciate. You have a limited supply and you have the only money. So, so the way I kind of separate- Right, but who's but lending? Anyone who's willing to hold Bitcoin as collateral. So it could be an individual. And there's a whole slew of companies now. And one that I'm very close with, a Bitcoin company here in, um, in Austin, who they, they've been doing this for now three, four years. Is um, this is how I managed to get and my. And what happens if interest rates rise or they call the loans? Do they have the right to call the loans? They have the right to call the loans um, at a particular threshold, correct? Um, but I mean, you you pay it back or you sell down your Bitcoin if you know right. you were imprudent. So, so can they force you? Can they force a Bitcoin sale? Uh, if you don't have enough collateral, right. So, for example, right. so, so what I do, for example, is that I'm always at a um, five to one ratio. So uh-huh. if, I, if I need $50,000, I'll deposit 250 grand worth of Bitcoin and I'm safe. There's nothing right. anyone's going to do. So, right. so this, is, this is another way. This is another mechanism how Bitcoin uses the system against itself to, to build something parallel that can't be changed, obfuscated control. Because once again, like we-, we You we see, that's back. where you and I disagree. You say well, that it can always be out of control. And that may be, you know, I'm not certain, but that may be true as a technical matter, but as a functioning system, it can't be always completely out of control. Not if you look at the control grid that controls human one people at a time. We- you cannot stop the control grid. All we can do is build a parallel means of cooperating as human beings. And to do that, the cornerstone is first. We, we, we can stop the control grid. That's where you and I disagree. Well, you've told me, you said transparency. You said um, building communities. Um, this is literally what you're describing to me is Bitcoin. So to, in order no. to stop the control what, grid. What I'm describing to you is the is the investment in the people and real assets and systems we need to build separate communities. Correct. So to do that, we need to own first and foremost. Okay. So, so let me play. Let, I, I don't disagree with that, but, but I've watched for many, many years. So as I said, I did a serious due diligence on Bitcoin long ago. As an asset, and, probably. And uh, no, no, that that's not the case. Okay, okay. Uh, I was trying to understand the whole ecosystem, and I was trying to understand it at a policy and macro level, but also at an individual people moving money in and out. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the first things I was told by a fantastic number of people is Bitcoin is a decentralized, grassroots, emergent phenomena that will make us free. And I remember I was in Basel, Switzerland. I just drove by the BIS and I went to into the Basel train station to buy a train ticket to Zurich. And Swiss Railway uh, offered me an opportunity to buy my ticket with Bitcoin and top up my wallet from Swiss Railway. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, clearly an emergent, you know, an emergent technology, which is bad for the central bankers. Okay, mm-hmm. so... What I then went through was an experience of talking to hundreds and hundreds of people, both online and in person. All of them were unbelievably excited about how much money they were making in this digital space. Mm -hmm. 
and they didn't seem to notice that the quality of their food was disappearing. Mm -hmm. The IQ of their children was cratering. Finishing. Yep. The schools that they were sending their kids to were poisoning them. Mm -hmm. And and the society around them and the people around them were suffering from lack of investment. Mm -hmm. And they felt this was all be solved because they would make fantastic amounts of money on their Bitcoin. And I would and, and I would argue and these what people. What I have to tell you is those people were they were in a space where all they saw was financial return mm -hmm. and they didn't see the things that create real value on this planet dying in front of them, including their own kids. Totally. And those people, I guarantee you, they were the same people who believe Bitcoin and crypto are in the same league. They were crypto people that you were talking to. No, many of them were totally Bitcoin. Nah, totally well, they, Bitcoin. That, that well, then, then they're they're not. I would they're not what I would call Bitcoiners. They're what I would call speculators. Because the idea of buying Bitcoin to make money is the dumbest thing on the face of the planet to me. Like, so for example, my Bitcoin. You, but you're you're educated. It, it, it's actually rational response to the vast majority. Well, but wait, wait, wait a minute. You you so it's a good are Trojan horse. you are you are holding Bitcoin to generate income. No, absolutely not. I, my You're Bitcoin, living on it. You're borrowing money and living on it. More generating your income. Store value. Let, let, let me. I'll, I'll describe my. That's generating an income. <laughs> I'll describe my position a little bit better. I, I generate an income um, when I work, so I don't stop working. I'm always generating an income. I just take. I, I live extremely frugally, um, mm -hmm. and then anything that I don't need is my savings, and I refuse to place my savings in any asset that a government can take. And in any government issued money, because uh, an asset that a government can take could be real estate, could be stocks, could be anything. So I refuse to give them that capacity over me. But your some, most valuable asset is you and a government can take you. They may take me, but they'll never take my Bitcoin. So then they have very little reason to take me. Seriously. Honestly, and I say that this is extremely important. <laughs> no, no, no. This is extremely important is that in the past, a government could come and take you so that they could take your wealth. Now, my keys are memorized here. They would have to, they, they could not, there's no power in the universe that exists that the government can use to take a single ounce of my wealth. That changes the dynamics so much. So, so there's, there's a book that was written called The Sovereign Individual, which talks about the, um, the returns on violence. When the cost of defense is extraordinarily high the and the cost of attack is low, there is a tendency, there is an incentive to attack, to take wealth. When the cost of defense is really low, and my cost of defense is my memory, extremely low, I can carry around all of my wealth in my memory, and there is not, not a goddamn thing anybody on the planet can do about it. That places me at a point, at a starting point of sovereignty that very few others can have. Then I have the choice of how I want to deploy the capital that I've built up over time. And my choice is to use it on good food, on good people, to build, hopefully, McCullough and I will do something long-term, um, to build a community and a, and, a, and a territory in which we get to choose you know, where we move allies. But I start from a place in which 
the product of my labor. My wealth cannot be confiscated. So I so, completely disagree. Really? I think the regulators, if the regulators want to, and I am not saying that they will, if the regulators want to, they can so depress the value of your Bitcoin that they can confiscate your wealth through deflation, through price deflation. They absolutely can, and, and impairing the liquidity. The, the, the regulators have about as much capacity to suppress the price of Bitcoin as they do to suppress the reality of the number three, as I said earlier, is that they can- I totally and completely and utterly disagree. And they, I hope they don't. There's, there's I hope another, they don't, Alex. But, but, Catherine, but there's 8 billion people who are going to be looking for a place to store the product of their labor um, as this whole tapestry of a shit show of a globalist thing starts to fall apart. When somebody realizes that they've just walked into um, Ethereum or their local central bank digital currency and they said something on Facebook and all of a sudden their money was turned off um, or on the metaverse or whatever, they are going to very, very quickly realize that the only form in which they can store the product of their labor is Bitcoin, where it's immune to any government or any institution or anyone being able to tell you what you can do with it. What will happen is you have a small amount left and you have 8 billion people. Bitcoin won't be 60 grand. Bitcoin will be the equivalent of $600 million today per coin. Like th this is not... This is not a trifling matter. Like in terms of purchasing power, this is not going away. They will try and regulate it. They'll try and do bad news. They'll try and call mining uh, environmentally responsible. They'll throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. But in the same way as any bureaucratic institution can try and pretend like gravity doesn't exist, gravity will always catch up. Reality so catches up. Let me ask you something. Give me a number just quickly of how many Bitcoin owners you think there are in the world just give me make a guess there's there's an estimated just, just and this make is, a wild guess there's a few million so let's say they're what five million three million let's, let's say five million five That's million more realistic how many of those people have been vaccinated that would be probably the lowest number of all in terms of People who hold Bitcoin, like that's the loudest community against vaccination. So I would say, let, let's say it's 50%. 50%. Okay. So 50% of those people voluntarily agreed to inject themselves with poison that could kill them. Mm -hmm. That's a much lower number than um, the people holding US dollars or Ethereum. Like Ethereum, it'll probably be 100%. Shitcoiners is yeah, but we're not, we're not we're not talking about relative value to other currencies. Oh, but we're we talking about how you create a group of people who are not totally mind controlled. Yeah, we should, Alex. We should. Alex, I think that's the crux of, of Catherine's argument. Is that what is your proposal? What's your understanding of the intervention that's going to be required to the eighty percent? Because her concern is that they can build up real assets and real. Uh, it's getting right, but he, here, onto here's Bitcoin where as we are. Possible. So, so one of the most important things Alex said was you can't do everything at I'm using my words, not yours, Alex, forgive mm -hmm. me. You can't do everything at once. You have to do this incrementally. Mm -hmm. And what I'm telling you is, I hope what you're saying is true. There's a whole bunch of things you've said that I disagree with you, but I don't think it's worth talking about right now in terms of how perfect and wonderful Bitcoin is. But put that aside. Let's, 
let's just assume we, we both want to get to freedom. The question is, how do we take where we are and add to it enough freedom from mind control and sabotage, enough resiliency from deep state politics and the regula regulation that's now going to wave down on us like a tsunami? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do we deal with that in a way that jumps the curve on where we are? You make because, those individuals financially sovereign first. When, when yeah, someone... But, but, but here's, I'm sorry, financial sovereignty is not enough. It's how not enough, get, though, that's why I said how, first. How do you get this community out of valuing their Bitcoin into valuing the humans and life. real assets enough to build a real civilization? As I said. Uh, can, let, let, let me chime in here, Alex. I, go for it, I, go for it. I've been, I, I really think the, the answer to your question, Catherine, is education mm -hmm. and developing communities based on decentralized technology, because that's where they've got us by the, by the kahunis with the internet, is they can control it. They've got these big systems, the social media platforms. Well, it's, it's internet people. and energy. Right. And telecommunications. So, we need our own, all sure. of those. Right. Yeah, so me personally, I'm involved in building a community in a different country that is completely energy dependent and, has, and completely sustainable. So basically it doesn't require anything from the outside, 100%. And I think there's many other communities that are starting to do that and to recognize that. But, but I think the part of the process that transitioned the bulk of the media, the masses, the 80% you refer to, is to educate them and to educate them with systems that, have, that are resilient to obstruction uh, and, and, and intervention by the, and regulation by the government that are, are basically decentralized. And we're moving towards that. that we don't have a decentralized internet yet, but it's emerging. And uh, the, the platforms that will exist on that that are essentially going to be censorship resistant, resistant, which are going to be integral to providing the infrastructure to educate the masses, to get them to the point where I think well, but, we all agree that they, they need to have those tools. So I just yeah. have to tell you, I don't believe in the word masses, there is no such thing. Okay. There are people. And in a decentralized model, each person is unique. Each person has the potential to be sovereign. Each person is has the potential to be free. And each person is our most valuable asset, not our financial products and tools, not our technology, not any of this stuff. It We, we have to have a human civilization where sovereign unique individuals are at the center of what we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. No argument from any of us on that. So, okay. But to, I, to, I don't think you're going to successfully get even the majority of them. I think it's going to be a relatively minor portion of the population that's going to escape the massive totally. propaganda brainwashing that campaign that's been so effectively implemented by Mr. Global. I mean, they, they have, going exponential on steroids to do this. And they've been very successful and we're only going to capture a relatively small percentage of them. Right. And so the question for all of us is how do we, you know, whether it's 1% or 10% or 20%, mm -hmm. how do we help that 20% truly break free and anybody that, else the question. to come along? The right. right. Yeah. Uh, can I use a, uh, Catherine, you might appreciate this. So um, have, you, have you ever read Isaiah's Job by Albert Nock? No. So Say it's it again? A, Isaiah's job. So it's like a, it's, it's a biblical reference. Um, it's a short essay. It inspired um, 
people like Murray Rothbard and Ayn Rand and all sorts of people. It was written in the 1930s. Um, I'll uh-huh. send it to you. Um, and what he talks about on there basically is a, it's a it's a fable that, um, or, or it's a short essay that talks about what God said to Isaiah. And Isaiah was basically what God described as a prophet of the remnant. Um, and he said that your job is, a, is not to go out and convince the masses. Your job is to go out and speak the truth. And for every hundred people that walk past, 99 won't listen, but one will. And the one who listened is the one who was supposed to listen. And by diluting your signal and trying to appeal to the masses, what you actually do is you dissuade the remnant from coming to you. So to, to kind of talk to both your point and to Dr. McCullough's point is that our goal should not be to convince everybody. Our, our goal should be to convince, you know, to, to use another analogy, the 300 um, the, 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 the people who are willing and have the appetite to be part of the prime movers. You can't get everyone across. You need to, you need to, you need to maintain signal. And those who are primed to hear it, like, I mean, it's, it's even evident in movies like the matrix, right? Like the, the ones who are ready to be unplugged, unplug those. Don't go around unplugging everyone because you'll end up with a bunch of ciphers who was the bad guy in the matrix who will end up betraying your ass anyway. You want to unplug those who are willing to be unplugged and ready to be unplugged. And that's the people who are going to be listening to a podcast like this. You're never going to get Joe Biden or someone who. I don't know. If you look at how long we're going, I'm I'm not sure they'll even listen to this. They're too busy. (laughs) They're going to love this. Um, so, so, so anyway, just, just, I I think that's a really important point is that you can't save everyone. Noah's Ark was built for those who are willing to jump onto Noah's Ark. And I, you know, that's been my motto all along. I've never tried to appeal to a bigger audience. Totally. Me me and you both. I I have had every opportunity to become a crypto bro and make millions of selling people shit coins. And I took the approach of not selling people the, the promise of easy money. So, so the way I kind of describe Bitcoin, it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's a don't get poor slowly scheme. And what I mean by that is that it is a way for individuals to become sovereign. So to tie this back into your original question around how we get a critical mass of people to wake the fuck up and start thinking about reality and not some fake made up crap that is being told to us through propaganda is you begin with giving them a means through which to become sovereign over the product of their labor. And simultaneously, you educate them across all the dimensions of sovereignty. And that is food. That is energy. That is shelter. That is community. That is people. That is values. That is understanding that there is a difference between the individual, the unique individual, and the automaton that lives within a collective uh, decreed by a global estate, right? So, okay. So, so what's happening here is that you believe that Bitcoin can remain successful despite the control grid and the regulatory structure that's in the process of coming in. It doesn't have to be successful in the short term. It needs to remain alive. And this is the beauty of it is that Bitcoin will outlast. So no matter how many times they hit it, and make yeah. it crash, it'll outlast and it'll, it'll remain. 
And it's limited. Let me let me just finish. I'm just trying to frame supports it though. It supports it because every intervention that's sought to suppress it has failed, and it's and it's proven to be enormously resilient. Exactly. I I don't think there's ever been a serious effort to suppress Bitcoin. I think the central bankers have wanted to see Bitcoin flourish and grow. Uh, I would strongly disagree with that because the suppression of Bitcoin exists today in the manifestation of brand new shit coins being issued every single week. And the narrative being that Bitcoin is shit, Bitcoin is slow, Bitcoin is old, Bitcoin is this, Bitcoin is that, blah, blah. Come and buy our new shit coin well, but that has what? been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or whichever other lizard operating um, entity that there is. Well, but what's been happening is you, you have a prototype phase. And lots of different things are being prototyped. No, those those things are not prototypes. Those things are attempts at the issuances of new currencies on the path to issuing a perfect CBDC, at least in their- right. But it's it's well, a prototype to help them figure out a CBDC, CBDC. Yeah, it's a. Right. It, these are all prototypes for CBDCs. Totally. And I'm totally. not saying there aren't other things going on. No, but, there is very little other things going on. Honestly, they're all they're all basically degenerates gambling or prototypes for CBDCs that you can honestly write it all off like that. Well, offline, I'm going to tell you, I had <laughs> I had a very funny experience with Ethereum, and I I will sometime I will if we get an opportunity to talk offline, I will tell you about it. And mm-hmm. um, you know, and there were clearly uh, there was you know you're clearly trying to draw in, capture, lasso in, it's a little bit like hurting people into a trap. Totally. So there, there are a lot of other mm-hmm. sort of tactics going on, you know, but the big one is prototyping to bring out the CBDC. Totally. Absolutely. So, so I have, unfortunately, I think the control grid and the regulators can do far more damage than you you do. And I don't think they've made a concerted effort to try and exert any meaningful control because I think they've wanted all of this to run. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't prefer more to run in Ethereum and Bitcoin, you know, for the reasons you described, but but where you and I currently disagree is, is what the Mr. Global's ability to crazy make the performance of Bitcoin over time. Well, t- uh, let me ask you. I- I'm not saying the- I'm right or you're right. Yeah. I'm just saying we have a disagreement. That's why, and- we, that's why we had you here. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And and that's the question, because the important thing is not who's right. The question is, how do we, if, the, if I'm right, the conditions are there for you not to be right. How do we get it to the point where you are right? Correct. So so let's right. let's ask let's ask a really important question then. Is what is the biggest attack vector then that Mr. Global or a state or a government could enact mm-hmm. to damage Bitcoin in a way that is irreparable? So 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 let's again remember that Bitcoin performs the functions of money. It's a perfect store of value because the definition of store of value is knowing my proportion in relation to the whole. So when I hold one Bitcoin, I know I have 121 millionth of the network. So it's a perfect store of value. It's a perfect medium of exchange because I can transact with whomever I want. I don't require permission and I don't require, and it's impossible to censor me. And it's a perfect unit of account because I know how much total supply there is over time when Bitcoin, as Bitcoin matures, I can measure all other goods and services with it. And it's, you know, basically infinitely divisible. So Bitcoin is perfect across all three dimensions of money. Okay. So, so you have more faith in the um, 
the performance of ex, uh, of the exchange network than I do. No, not the exchange now, network. Here, here's the problem. Not the exchange I'm, network. Bitcoin's network. Yeah, Bitcoin's own network. From the own network, right? Yeah, Bitcoin right. doesn't follow. Yeah, but that's not as independent of exchanges. Exactly, totally independent. Right. So, so think think of it this way, Catherine. Think of the old world. Right, but here. you're confident it's in it, in its ability to afford, uh, perform in the worst case, 100%. and I'm not. Okay, so so let let me ask you then: How can any global estate? What would be a way for them to impact Bitcoin's three functions? How could I how do they to do this? Because I've had this conversation, but to do this. I would have to go get Bill Benny and a couple of other technologists and sit down and, and get them to help me. So I have sat down and, and worked through with them how you might hiccup it. Okay. Well, and I would the, need them here because I'm just okay. not an expert in this. Okay. Well, off the top of your head, like what kind of hammer do you think could be used to, to bash Bitcoin to potentially impact those three functions? I think the biggest bashing is going to come from interfering with the people. So and and if you add to it regulatory structure, taxation mm -hmm. and and the kinds of controls that can be implemented, I think you can so marginalize the price and the liquidity that you absolutely can uh, stop it from growing into viable communities. Okay, so, so let's let's propaganda so, and brainwashing. Okay, cool. So so let's look at each of those. So um, propagandize all the people, brainwash them, make them believe Bitcoin is bad. Um, well, but let me stop, Alex. Let me stop. Have you ever really significantly studied how brainwashing and mind control work? I have been studying psychology for 12 years. I'm um, not talking about psychology. You need to understand psychology I'm not talking in order about to understand psychology. brainwashing, though. Because, see, I'm not talking like, about propaganda on media. I'm talking about entrainment that comes through digital mechanisms. I'm talking about very serious, high tech manipulation of people's minds um in order to understand that one must understand how the language of the mind works um so i understand that quite intimately and you know i i think there is a separation like i i draw a line between um bf skinner's model let, let me, of but the let fact me ask that we're all question. rats how how much has entrainment technology the first time I ever did a Solari report on entrainment technology, I did it because entrainment technology was being used to market investments to my clients. And I was finding myself having very tense conversations with them because they wanted to do something that guaranteed they would lose significant amounts of money. And it mm -hmm. made no logical sense. And mm -hmm. I finally determined, okay, they're using entrainment to market. How much is entrainment being used to market Bitcoin or other cryptos? Uh, other cryptos, significantly. Uh, Bitcoin, zero. Because no one's trying to market Bitcoin. Everything you see that the mass media promotes about Bitcoin is how much of an evil thing it is, how it's when, a white supremacist, how it's going to block When I, in 2017, when I did the due diligence, what I found is entrainment was being used to market it. At the top, because... You know what happens is you know that wasn't 2017, was it? You yes, know, it was. Well, you got 2017 a high and was then the top. Crash. Yeah. yeah, correct, exactly. So, so th the only time you'll ever see the media say anything good is at a Bitcoin top. That's the only time ever, 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 ever. That's the only time. So, well, so no, the, you, what you I can do searches for Bitcoin at, at that dead. point, entrainment was being used to market it. Yeah, correct. So, so they'll entrain it right at the time when Bitcoin's going through a blow off top. 
so that they can get the lemmings to come and buy. And then when Bitcoin crashes, then they lose all faith in Bitcoin and they run away. So think of it that way. That's exactly when they'll say something good about Bitcoin is that when it's, oh, it's evidently going up. It's a well, pump and dump. They'll try and en enable that pump and dump. For me, it's not a pump and dump. For me, it is the most important uh, emergent form of money that's ever existed in the history of humankind. And as a result, I don't recognize the US dollar toilet paper price of Bitcoin. All I do is my, my measure is do I have more Bitcoin today than I had yesterday? And if the answer is yes, then my net worth is growing because I don't measure my net worth in dollars. I measure it in the total amount of Bitcoin that I hold. Right, so it's, a very, it's a very different place. But let, let me let me just come back to um, what we were what we were saying earlier because it was um, it, it was it was really important around um, oh, for the love of Christ. I um. I lost well, but my here's train the of thing: thought. I don't think today. Oh yeah, you know the the, the only uh, way we could you know, resolve this disagreement is to go deeper into the tactics that are used and and see if we can come out with a common map. Because I don't think we have a common map of what the tactics are, how they work and how powerful well, they can be. Let's well, let's let's use wait, wait, the tactics wait. again. Go, Joe. I, I, I'm, <laughs> we're at two and a half hours, which is good. I mean, I can go, we can pro probably go another two and a half hours. And, I can't uh, go another two and a half hours. I know you can't. I've got a I conference know. call. <laughs> I know. So I don't know what your restrictions are. Normally we don't go this long, but it's, this has been an unbelievably engaging, amazing dialogue and conversation, some fundamental important topics that we all need to know about. So I'm wondering if you're both open to part two or maybe Catherine, you can get your technical experts in and then we can continue the dialogue and go deeper because, you know, we're kind of approaching the limits of, you know, what's considered. Well, but he, here's what I would get. I mean, what I would do is whether it's Bill Binney or Snowden or somebody really, um, you know, Binney helped me with my due diligence. So it's somebody like Binney who says, you know, how can the technology be compromised? What are the, what mm -hmm. are the compromise points? How is technology and, you know, I wouldn't get me, I'd get him. So, uh, you know, that's the question. I still like to have you involved, though, because I think your perspective is so helpful. I mean, you're beyond brilliant when it comes to understanding these, these things, and especially the control grids that, you know, Alex doesn't have the familiarity with. Right? Maybe well, I the you know, I have to correct you. I don't think I'm brilliant. I think I've gotten whacked more than most people. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's, so, it's, it's a form you've been educated. Okay. And you have, right. you have I've, world, I've had it. I've world. had a phenomenal education at the hands of the national security state. Yeah. And you have a real world wisdom and actually I've, I, I well, but here's, here's, I've spent an enormous amount of the most frustrating time in my life, trying to protect people from these kinds of technologies being used to market all right. sorts of non-crypto, non-Bitcoin investments. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, they do it, they use it with everything. So it's, right. it's, it's securities, it's precious metals, it's real estate, it's SUVs, it's mm -hmm. pornography, it's mm -hmm. everything, everything mm -hmm. that involves a financial transaction uses this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to do a part two. Um, I would love to wrap up one final thought um, that we could go away with is that um, all of the, attack vectors that we can think about turning off electricity, um, turning off even the internet, um, propagandizing people, all of that stuff um, actually has, 
the only thing that can affect is the price, the exchange rate of Bitcoin. It actually has zero effect on Bitcoin's performance as a money in, in its own ecosystem. So, so, and the reason that is an important idea is that so long as Bitcoin produces another block, like a heartbeat, think of it like almost like a, it's, it's the unstoppable heartbeat that sits at the center of all civilization. No matter what we do, we can't seem to stop that. No government's been able to stop that. All they can do is suppress the price and, you know, screw around with exchanges and this and that. But as Bitcoin continues to exist and just not die, which they can't seem to kill it, is um, it seems to infect and infiltrate more and more and more and more things. So it's infecting and infiltrating the financial system. It's infecting and infiltrating the payment system. It's infecting and infiltrating the government system, all of this stuff. So what ends up happening is it gets so inured inside their system that they would have to turn themselves off to turn it off. And it starts to, and I believe that we've actually crossed that Rubicon. I think at this point to, to actually have any chance at really um, significantly stopping Bitcoin. And even then it wouldn't like, so let's say the whole world uh, turned off its electricity and the internet simultaneously to kill Bitcoin. Um, as soon as they turned it back on, Bitcoin would just start again. <laughs> like, so that, like, but, but the difference is that they would, you know, destroy themselves in the process. So it's like there's yeah. nothing they can do without killing themselves. They could have done it earlier. Would you agree that potentially? Yeah, but ago, probably, could, probably could have killed it, but it's too late now. Exactly. Six, seven years ago, there was an opportunity. Uh, like I don't six, think seven, they wanted to ago. kill it. Quite the contrary. I mean, well, from no, no, everything they, I've seen, they're pumping. They've they, been they the one laughed at it. it. Six, seven years ago, it was just looked at as a joke. No, but they like, pumped the it. I mean, if, it looked to me like they were pumping. I mean, uh, the central were... bankers, the central bankers, the the Bitcoin, all of this has been wonderful for the central bankers. Bitcoin's original pump was pizzas. The second pump was drugs. Um, the third pump. Uh, okay. Catherine, I don't think that Alex is disagreeing with you, but his more focus is that what the, the central bankers are really focusing on is the other cryptos, everything else but Bitcoin, which is uh, yeah, that's what they I, want to pump. That's not been my experience, but the 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 central bankers would, you know, I mean, they'll they'll pump Bitcoin insofar as it helps them pump their other bags, basically. So so there's some alignment there in that sense. But the, be the, the beauty of Bitcoin is that no matter how much they pump it or dump it or whatever, they actually can't control it, whereas the rest of them, they can. And that's, so that's I the think, differentiating I factor. I think Bitcoin has been their best and most valuable uh, prototype. I'm not saying the others, they didn't try. But Bitcoin's been the most successful of all the prototypes. But I mean, if that's a prototype, then... I mean, I'm very Bitcoin's thankful to the central bankers because they've just given me personal sovereignty and autonomy. Like now I'm completely immune to them. So so I would I would say Bitcoin has been great for the central bankers. It's been very successful. And then the question is, can they rein in it or not? Uh, or and I, I shouldn't say the central bankers. Can Mr. Global rein in uh, a Bitcoin or not? And does Mr. Global want to rein in Bitcoin or not? Um, well, I would say that irrespective of whether that's true or not, like I fundamentally know that Bitcoin and I know a lot of the early people in Bitcoin very intimately well. It was a science project by a bunch of nerds who wanted to, who were libertarian and wanted to be outside of the government. It had nothing to do with government. It was a cue to government. But let's even assume that somehow it was true and unleashed by the government or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, what they unleashed was something that they can't control. 
um, assuming they unleashed it. Once again, you know, th this is not how um, emergent phenomena occur. Like, you know, Bitcoin came into the world. It was a dream that was attempted 20, 30 times before that. Sorry, for 20, 20 or 30 years before that. Um, you know, the, the dream of having a money completely immune to the state and outside of the state was always something we wanted. Um, but we could never work out a way to have a transparent constitution that could not be changed. And Bitcoin solved the transparent, transparent constitution problem. So, so that, like, if, if no, there's maybe didn't. one... No, well, it didn't. It did. Bitcoin no, is didn't. a transparent constitution. Okay, if, if you allow... By definition. So are you in, are you in Texas now? If, if you allow a con con in the United States and the constitution to come down, you know, you physically may not survive that process. What's a con con? What happens next? A con con is a, uh, is an opening. It's a constant, it's a, it's a convention to amend the constitution mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity to basically tear it up and bring it down. Okay. So but, you can't, but you if can't you do that with Bitcoin. It, if you, if you tear, tear it up and bring it down, then you can't you're, do that with Bitcoin. I, I'm, I don't care about that. If you bring down the Second Amendment in the United States, do you have any idea what's going to happen? That's going to be a disaster, of course, of course. Right. And this is why. And, and Bitcoin this is can't why we solve can... that problem. That's that's why. You when know, the, you when the original you, you Constitution was written. It was yeah. just a piece of paper thrown around by a bunch of um, you know young twenty-year-olds who were thinking about a way a new world could work. And at the beginning, the constitution could have easily been torn up. But over time, it became stronger and stronger and stronger as it became a covenant of society. Bitcoin right. is 12 years in, and it has already shown that its constitution can't be torn up. Um, really? And Bring down the Second Amendment and you'd be surprised. All the people trading it in the United States could be killed. They could be killed, of course, but it still won't tear up the constitution of Bitcoin because the constitution of Bitcoin, so long as one person anywhere in the world is running it, the constitution of Bitcoin lives. And this is why it's too hard to kill. Well, I, for one, don't think people are expendable. So I, you know, so I I'm not saying, no, I, you know, th there's something else going on here. And this gets back to the real, you know, because I come back to people are the assets, not money, not <laughs> But imagine Bitcoin, if the founding not... imagine if the founding fathers could have done what they did with the American Constitution, but in an architecture like Bitcoin, where the Constitution by no legislative power could ever be ripped up. Like Bitcoin's rules, literally can't be changed. There is nothing to do to change it. There is not a power in the universe that can change it. Bitcoin is so in my book, Bitcoin is a tool, and you have more faith in tools than I do. And and I'm not saying it's not a useful tool. But if you look at what it takes to make freedom happen, especially where we are dealing with what we're dealing with, it's not enough. It's insufficient. It's, it's totally now, that not doesn't enough. Make it, that doesn't make it bad or wrong. But I have, for the last 12 years, had nothing but one presentation after another about how Bitcoin is like a magic bullet, but in a presentation where... It's separate and distinct from the other conditions precedent to make things go and make it possible for people yeah. to 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 be free. It is and yeah. and and so it you know it's a it's a whiz bang tool maybe and maybe you're right that it's as good as it is maybe it's not as good as you think it doesn't matter you know un unless it comes in a package unless yeah, it comes in a package of 
of dealing with all these things mm -hmm. in a civilization where humans can be successful, it, it's just another yeah. financial product. So think of it, think of it as a bridge from old world to the new world. And we need food, energy, shelter, blah, blah, blah. We need all these stones along the way. Bitcoin is the keystone. No. If, if we don't have the sovereign money, the whole the bridge will never be built. If 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 you have if your law is only encoded in digital technology and it's not encoded in the covenant and in the field and in the people, you have nothing. Well, I mean, it's better to encode your law in a constitution that can't be changed than on a piece of paper, right? So One of the, the reasons the covenant that Bitcoin is downstream works as well as it does, my guess, I'm not sure, is because you have a community that has a field. But the community came and, downstream. The community didn't come before. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. I understand that. But that community is what makes it powerful. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's people. That's people. That's, That's people. Correct. So, right. but, but right. it's, There's it starts no with an immutable constitution. It starts with people. Well, uh, okay, fine. So Bitcoin was created <laughs> by a person, fine. I mean, but that's semantics. But no, I, so, I, think, I think it's an important point that Catherine brings up. Which which yeah. has value, people yeah. or tools? <laughs> well, now, now you, you're, both, what you're saying but, is we can encode the law in some of the tools and that makes it a hybrid. But, you know, the, it's really funny because this is the same debate you know, that, 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 you know, tore my company asunder, you know, in the face of a barrage from the Department of Justice, we had two, you know, critical partners and one said people have value and the other said tools have value. And that was it. It was divorce. Tools are agnostic, right? So, you know, tools are only valuable insofar as a person can use it. Right. But, you know, I, I actually view Bitcoin not even as a tool. Like I, Bitcoin to me transcends. Like, do, do you view gravity as a tool, or do you view it as a no. force of nature? I I view it as a field. Okay, so what about the speed of light or um or thermodynamics? It's basically you know sort of an abstract of describing how nature works. Okay, so but are we all uh, bound within the rules of thermodynamics? Like, can you can you do something outside of the laws of thermodynamics? Well, there's debate about that, and I'm not smart enough to know the answer. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, so, the answer is no. <laughs> um, in, in conventional science, that's true. well, yeah. I mean, the fundamentally speaking, like what makes everything work around us is it's these physics, physics, physics. Well, exactly. but, yeah, but here, here's what we're saying, Alex. The beauty of money is money always. You know, one of the things I love about money conversations and thinking about money is it always drags us in to the most profound spiritual questions mm -hmm. and therefore the most profound cultural questions. Sure. And, and, you know, I believe that sovereign individuals are very, very important. And, uh, and we have far more power than we've been led to believe. Mm -hmm. And, and our power rests in our ability to create intention, to create a world, create our future. Mm -hmm. And so when you build and talk about money systems, you get into that issue of in the deepest, darkest point of, you know, the values and the values we use to create our world is what has value, what's important. Yeah, well, and value when, is subjective, when, right? Right. 
value, you know, values are values. Why are we here? What are we going to use our time to create? Mm -hmm. What kind of world are we going to invent? Mm -hmm. And you can't, you can't invent a new society or a new civilization or evolve a civilization without asking those questions when you deal with investment and money. And that's why this is coming up. Totally. And it's, so important, it's important because what kind of culture are we going to create? And one of the reasons since 2017 that I have avoided the Bitcoin community is the culture that I hear from them is not people centric. And mm. I am first and foremost, a people investor. That's Ooh, what I, 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 I need to get you into the right Bitcoin circles, darling, because uh, uh, maybe I just ran into yeah, all the wrong you, ones. <laughs> you've, you've been, I'll tell you where you've been. You've been in the crypto circles. I'm telling you, that's literally the difference. Like, no, I've had terrible experiences with the crypto experience. And I've certainly enjoyed the Bitcoin people that I met more than the crypto. I will say that. Yeah. So, well, you, you've had a short, small glimpse then. Like the, the only community that you'll find that is consistently interested in building sovereignty out across multiple dimensions. Um, and the only community that I've ever found that is actually doing something about it is genuinely the Bitcoin community. They, they like Bitcoin is a human centered technology, it is not a um, digital centered technology. Bitcoin is so, so let me enabling just tell individual. You, let me tell you a story. When the Department of Justice came after me, they put me in a position like you where you basically, you know, your financial transaction system shuts down. So I'm making a million dollars of revenues a month and, you know, and my expense structure is conservative and well underneath that. But suddenly, bam, every dollar stops, all credit stops, everything freezes. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I have a Rolodex of 5,000 of my best friends who are all powerful, important, none of which will return my calls, you know, and I'm frozen out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you know what saved my life? Tell me. People. I had lent or gifted $250,000 to people. Mm -hmm. And everybody got together and I said, well, I guess she needs it back. <laughs> but I also had an uncle who was wealthy who said, you know, she's always helped everybody. So now I'll help her. And over the next 11 years, that, you know, I went from being exceptionally wealthy and very successful to living on peanut butter and jelly, that 250,000 over the next 11 years kept me alive. If it yeah. hadn't been for that, I got a big settlement when it, when the money came in and I bonused a whole bunch of it back out. And I said, you know something, there's only one place they can't take it from me. And that's out on the people bank. Now I appreciate what you're saying about Bitcoin being similar in that respect. But one of the things I tell you, if I had had plenty of Bitcoin then and there, it wouldn't have saved my life. I needed people. So we, we need to come up with a, with a vision that's not tool centric. Mm -hmm. It's people centric. Yeah. And that's exactly what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is literally a people centric manifestation. And it is literally, as I said, it is a immutable constitution downstream from which we can build I, people centric I, governance. I'm because not saying it's not there, but I have yet to see anything which tells me we have a critical mass of people who can protect and keep other people free. Yeah, and that's why we need to grow that uh, pie. We need to grow that pie. I agree. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it can't be grown, yeah. but, but you imagine know, if 100 million of us held Bitcoin um, and we're completely immune to any ability to be financially censored. Um, and that's not so enough. You have to be totally immune to being mind controlled and you have to be prepared in the worst case to die Correct. rather than give up your freedom. 
Correct. So you need a culture. You need you need a culture. You need the culture an has to flourish, and, and you need a culture. Yeah, the culture has to flourish from somewhere, and it's right. going. To, it's it's got to start. But from... But it, it can't. It can't come from. You know, it can't come from just loving Bitcoin. It has to come from loving freedom, and Absolutely. and being willing to fight and die for other people. Absolutely, and um, and no disagreements. No disagreements there. Like those things are fundamentally important, and 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 that is why, like, if we can bring those characters across. Um, we're, we're going to win. The, the, the globalists don't stand a chance. Um, but if those characters end up as um, CBDC or Ethereum holding slaves, then we're completely up shit creek without a paddle. And that's where, that's where those characters, the ones who are willing to die for freedom, the ones who are willing to die for humanity, if, if they end up in the control grid, the war's over. We've lost them. But if we can unplug them now and help them move over to sovereignty and there's no way for them to be trapped by the um, control grid, then we can start undoing all of the um, brainwashing, the mind control and everything like that. All of that stuff can be undone with enough time. But first and foremost, we need to get them to step out of the current um, monetary governance paradigm because um, that that's the that's that little piece that um will tip the scales one way or the other. Right. Well, this has been amazing. <laughs> I don't know that absolutely. We we, we both have to uh, kind of tie things up here. But Catherine, absolutely. I can't I can't thank you enough. This was beyond what I was ever expecting. And what really were you expecting? <laughs> <laughs> Well, an elucidation of the issues and the concerns from someone who really has deep insights into the existing financial system as to what are the flaws, what is what is the missing piece of the Bitcoin strategy is so eloquently represented by Alex. And you you highlighted them and you did it a really good good way with respect to I mean, Alex agrees it's not the only thing, it's the key use it as the keystone, but your perception is that it needs a lot more focus on the humanity. Uh, and building those resilient tools of food supply and energy production and, 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 and providing a resiliency to the propaganda and brainwashing. So I think that a hybrid merger of that component is probably, it seems like it's the best answer, you know, because I don't think you disagree. I mean, in my mind, there's no real other alternative to Bitcoin that we have. I mean, this is only the existing, existing system. There's no other competitor to Bitcoin that has the potential to contribute to the resistance of this implementation of financial tyranny and global tyranny. So I don't know. I mean, this, is, this certainly didn't solve it, but it certainly, in my mind, exposed a lot of the uh, concerns. And Right. Really so we, we talked about some of the issues so, yeah. and certainly the big one that's the stopper. Yeah, the control systems and the, and the right. people. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would love to do a round two, Catherine. As, um, as so, we, I mean, you've got some homework to do in, in providing Catherine with those resources you recommended. I'll certainly give you a copy of this, and you can send them to her. Absolutely. And yeah, and then we could talk the dialogue about doing a round two. If it's not with Catherine, maybe with one of her associates. So. Yeah. I, right. Uh, and Alex, I'm happy to send you anything in writing we have that might help you understand. 
Totally, totally. I um I I, I watched a couple of your stuff, um, of your videos, etc. Already, but um, there's I, I'm actually so looking- let me let, I'm going to send you one thing, and I want to focus you on it because one of the things uh, I'm a great believer in dealing with what's important as opposed to what I think I can figure out. So one of the most important things we need to do is deal with the tax flows. Right now, the majority of people, I'll use the United States, are financing their own prison through the tax system. Okay. And they're, but what's interesting is the federal government is completely in violation of all the financial management laws and regulations. So they, they're, they're not on solid ground at all. It's one of the few places where you have complete documentation that they have consistently broken the laws. Mm-hmm. So the money is being managed in, I would describe as criminal way. Mm-hmm. So the question is, there are many different ways that you could shift the money. The question is how? So I wrote a long piece with my attorney talking about how to do that. And, um, and frankly, uh, you know, if you could combine switching the tax flows with, with the kind of financial system you're talking about, then you're really jumping the curve and busting the control. Mm-hmm. Because again, there are three lines of control. The biggest line you know, is the financial nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. And if you can break people free from that, you know, then you're really talking about being in the game. So I'll send you the taxation. Please do that. Yeah, with Bitcoin though, if you if you t- take the Alex strategy, you're not really selling it, so there's no uh, capital gains tax. It's and beautiful. You, you avoid it. You're just taking a loan, and Bitcoin appreciates over time, so you're able to earn other income and pay pay off those things. But essentially, you're right. minimizing the tax burden. Right. So I I don't mean that. What I'm talking about is if you have, say, the uh, a family in uh, paying five thousand dollars a year into the federal till. Mm-hmm. That money is being used to build the control grid that's going to control totally. them. Yeah. So the now, but but that money is being spent or used illegally, or the financial operations of the government are illegal. How can you start to organize? So, for example, well, you know something. I'm just, let's for let's do this on part two, but I will send you the taxation piece because it starts to explore all the different ways that you could. Absolutely. Let's um let's do this on. Part two. Um, I'd yeah. love to explore well, that. She did think, it. She yeah. agreed to part two. <laughs> Done. So I'm also. I'm also. Uh, I will also. We're just about to mail our CBDC uh, wrap up, and the taxation will come out a month from now. It's online, so I'll just send you the online version. Sure. Sure. Could you send sure. those both to me too? Absolutely. Do I have your mailing <laughs> no, address? No, Joe. You're not allowed. <laughs> do I have? Do I have your mailing address? Because you do. You do. You've emailed me a few times in the past. Yes. But no, if you, no, I, the I, hard copy. The do you oh want the book? no, no, I'll just take the digital. Digital. Okay, okay, okay. All right, well, all right. Well, thank you for your. Yeah, thank you. I can't uh, express my gratitude for your uh, your kindness and willingness to spend so much time with us today discussing what I I think we all believe are very vitally important issues that have so, to be solved. I don't, Absolutely I don't, have to be solved. If we're going to avert right, what I want is I want to be free, and one of the things I'm clear is I can't be free unless you are. (laughs) (laughs) We're in agreement. So we got to do this together, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Keep being free.
Absolutely. Right.